broadcasting live from Global Headquarters and RP Enterprises in Greenwood, Missouri. Stand by on this frequency. After 22 years of entertaining FM radio listeners across the U.S., across the U.S., this man is the owner and executive producer of the award-winning Heartland Waterfowl on Sportsman's Channel, CEO and founder of Dumar Chemical Solutions, and the man behind the mic of Paparan Radio Voiceovers and Production. He's the man, the myth, the legend, a global icon, future Nobel Prize winner, and of course he paid me to say all this. Really? Literally. Welcome to the Papa Ron Podcast. Here's your host, Ronnie Phillips. Ronnie Phillips. That's right, and we are back. It's another week of the Papa Ron Podcast. Everybody clap and be excited to be here. Yeah! <laughs> oh, geez, you would think these guys that I have in studio with me would know what's going on here. Bring a, bring a little energy. It's happening. Episode 10 is about to begin at the Papa Ron Podcast. I want to thank you for being so great with this new venture that I've started 10 weeks ago. And of course, with that, I got to make sure that I thank the guys in studio that are helping me behind the scenes with the video, the guys from Marathon Media Management. I thank them every single week and I will continue to do so until I guess they stop coming in to video the podcast, which by the way, you can find a version of this podcast, not only a video version on Spotify, you can also find it on the Papa Ron podcast YouTube channel. Of course, this podcast is found on all the popular podcast platforms, thanks to Anchor. So it can also be found on Amazon and Apple and uh, uh, I said Spotify already. Then there's uh, Google and CastBox. So there's really no reason why you can't find the podcast. So this week, I thought it would be fun because those who listen to this podcast know my association to Heartland Waterfowl. And last week, season nine, already season nine of Heartland Waterfowl came out on Sportsman's Channel. So we're really excited about that. We'll dive into season nine and everything that you can expect. But we thought, or I thought it would be fun to kind of go revisit the old days. And it would be fun to bring in the, uh, the other two guys, aside from myself, that are the, the original members of Heartland Waterfowl. So, that being said, welcome to the Papa Ron Podcast, Logan Burden, my partner, and Matt Westcoat. Yeah! Okay. yeah. That. yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. How are you guys feeling? Doing, good. Doing, doing great. Good. Doing great. Good. Are you nervous at all? No. Well, good, I was, Matt. Ju- I was just sitting here last week. <laughs> <laughs> sitting here doing a few uh, voiceovers as we were getting ready for season nine. It's hard to believe Hard to believe it's been nine years because we were kind of joking before we started the podcast that, you know, it was a little rough there in the beginning. We were wondering if we were even going to finish one season at the, you know, in the very beginning. Yeah, for sure. Going, yeah. going back and looking at like our original promo episode or anything like that. It's, it's, it was ugly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yes, there was some, from a technical standpoint, there were some things as new film or TV producers that, it's hard to go back and watch today, but uh, I was even talking about just the, the, the dynamic of the personalities, the multiple different personalities that we all had and trying to kind of figure each other out. Um, so let's go back. Before we get into season nine and everything that it has become, let's go back to when, I guess, Logan, it would be 2000, 
11, actually. Now, we didn't start the show until, I think, 2013. Yep. But it was 2011, because we often say, and often, you know, in many interviews that we do, whether it's, you know, podcast or magazine articles, that we filmed this show for two years before we even had an episode. So when you think back to when we first sat down and we had the talk of potentially coming out with an extension of Heartland Bowhunter and releasing Heartland Waterfowl, what's the first memory that comes to mind? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Um, Listen, there's a a couple, but the the first one is me and you sitting at, what, Texas Roadhouse? Is that right? Oh, you're going to fast forward to that. Okay, all right. I'm talking about like the very infancy stages, the very beginning when you were like, okay, this Ronnie guy might be involved in this thing. Let's all sit down. Let's have a conversation because as I remember it, we sat in your dad's office and it was you and me and your dad and Rex Luchtel, who was Sean Luchtel's dad from Heartland Bowhunter. And we all kind of sat in the office and talked, all right, if we're going to do this, what are we looking at? How are we going to do this? Do we have a group of guys? Where are we looking to go? And we were just kind of taking the baby steps, building the foundation of what could potentially be this new TV concept. What do you, what do you remember from back in that time? Man, I don't remember. You don't remember? <laughs> that, that's back a couple of days. For sure. um, I just, more than anything, just remember the anxiety that I had just from filming and making sure we had the content and knowing if we had the right content. I mean, I remember out in Kansas hunting a lot of public water that was probably a big waste of time, but <laughs> we were just doing anything we could to get content. But as far as like the business side and when we started, man, I... I remember just, you know, trying to put a team together, trying to figure out where we're going to go, what we're going to do, the sponsors we're going to get, mm-hmm. you know, where are we going to get money to afford to go on these trips? How are we going to time it right with the migration? I mean, man, there are so many diff- different things that now I guess, now that being here, I overlook mm-hmm. and, sure, you know, that now it's, I guess, second nature more than anything. And, um, man, we, yeah, we've really come a long ways. That's for damn sure. So I recall working for Q104 and kind of hitting my ceiling and like, I got to get out of here. This is, I've, I've hit my ceiling and not when I say get out of here, it wasn't like I was miserable, but I was just ready to take the next step. And I was trying to figure out what the next step would be. And naturally I had a passion for the outdoors and I loved waterfowl hunting. And so how could I parlay all of this media experience, this broadcasting experience, marketing sales, all of this into developing an outdoor TV show. And at the time I wanted to start a TV show, but even, I didn't even know about Heartland Bowhunter. What, what, what was it? It was it Ronnie Phillips outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. I started, I did. Thanks Matt. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. Boy, we really are going to go down memory lane and yep. just open the book. Um, I started a Facebook page, Ronnie Phillips outdoors, and I was just posting random stuff up there. And it was probably corny if I look back on it today, but um, that was, that was why I started showing up to PBR. Where's Stingray at? When, when he a part Stingray, of St- St- Yeah. Stingray is right above you. No, St- no, Stingray was later than that. A little bit, a little, a little bit. bit, uh, not, yeah, but we were, we knew we were doing Heartland Waterfowl at that point. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I didn't know anything about Heartland Bowhunter and I remember having a, uh, conversation with my wife's Oh, no, who was it? It was my wife, someone on my wife's side of the family who were good friends with the Hunsuckers and had been for years. And they had told me about this Mike Hunsucker guy who's got a TV show. So I start poking around on the internet to find out. I was like, wow, this is really cool stuff. 
Um, at which point then I'm trying to get to know them. But before I could even reach out to them, I think somebody on that side of the family reached out to Mike and said, Hey, this guy who works in radio, you get Q104, he's interested in doing something. So Mike reached out to me and he was like, Hey, you know, we can teach you what you want to know. And he wasn't offering me to be a part of a show, but he was like, because he was looking at it as an opportunity for Q104 and the guy at the radio station to help promote Heartland Bowhunter, which is kind of what it was. Anyway, so I had actually taken the idea to them about trying to be a part of HB. That got shut down <laughs> before I could even put a period at the end of the, <laughs> or a question mark at the end of the sentence. Um, and so I was just kind of hanging out with them and I didn't even really know Logan yet. And you, you, you were kind of alluding to starting to kind of hang around at radio station events when you kind of got wind that I was this guy at the radio station trying to start something. So before I get too far down the road, I guess, Matt, let's go there because you, you obviously had a desire to be in the outdoor industry yep. with a, with a, a as a um, content creator in some way, shape or form. So tell me, take me back to those days and what, what, what you remember. Yeah. So it was for me <clears throat> and I've told a handful of people this just, and it's, so I, I think it'll be pretty consistent, but um, so I'd come back from college. I'd gone to college down at Missouri state and uh, came back up and was just kind of at a point in life where it was like, Hey, I need to do something for my life. I w you know, I got a degree in wildlife biology and the conservation department was shut down basically in 2010 because of the economy. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to go do something that I want to do, not something that I need to do. So um, I ended up buying a camera. I actually took the Heartland Bowhunter film school that they did back in, you know, in their early days. And because of social media on Facebook, I had seen Ronnie Phillips outdoors. And then I was, I was already friends with Sean and Mike, mm -hmm. um, because of my Sean's dad and my dad worked together. So I knew them through that circle and you know, they're, and they're, showing up down at PBR, hanging out with Ronnie Phillips, who has Ronnie Phillips outdoors. And I said, <laughs> so, I, so, I, so I said, you know what? I said, I don't, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to put myself in the place to figure it out. Sure. Um, so it was literally, it was, it was a hot country night, Thursday night, hot country night, free concert at PBR. So I went down there by myself and uh, Sean and Mike were with you in VIP. And so I just kind of wandered by VIP and got Sean's attention and waved and said, hi. And they came over and just said, Hey, how are you? And then I went on, went on about my way, had a beer, watched the concert, went home next week, came down. Hey, waved at him again. I had a stalker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah. So you did that, that second week you came over and, and said, Hey, do you want do you want to come in and have a beer with us? Yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. I appreciate it. So you and I, and you and I sat there and talked, most of that night, I didn't even know what concert it was. You and I sat there and talked most of that night. Sure. And then the third week I came down and my name was on the VIP list. Yep. Um, so that was how I just put myself in the right place mm -hmm. um, to, to just kind of be at the crossroads of something that might be happening. And that was kind of how I interjected myself. So Ronnie Phillips outdoors, you get paid in free beer. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> And, get, it, and it was a lot of free beer. Hey, I gave away a lot of tickets to those free concerts. <laughs> See what I did there? Free yeah. concerts tickets. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, so as I remember how that kind of went, because I had actually started waterfowl hunting with a guy who used to be on our, on our team, Caleb Bone. And I, uh, he was interested naturally in being a part of this thing that I was wanting to pursue, but I really didn't know where I was going with it. But I knew that we all needed to learn how to run a camera. And it seems like either I was getting married that I think I was actually getting married. You, you that were getting weekend. married that year. Yeah. 
and uh, they agreed to put Caleb in the film school. And when they did the introductions to it, because whenever you go to the, or back then when you went to the HB film school, everybody stood up and introduced themselves and why they were there, who they were affiliated with. And Caleb had made reference to, I'm here because of Ronnie Phillips and, you know, he's wanting yep. to try to do something and I'm, you know, here to learn more and maybe work with him. And then that's when you kind of went, bling, light went off. And is there any, I thought that's I, how that may have went. Well, I don't remember chronologically if that was how that went. I think it, w- it would have been very same time, but I don't remember if I was going to PBR first or if I did the film school first. I don't remember. Gotcha. I know prior to the film school, I had gone and invested in a camera. I spent $4,000 or whatever it was on one of my Sony big cameras. Um, was that how much they cost back then? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We had what Canon GL2 and like the Sony. I had, yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. Mine, mine still had, even had, recorded to the tapes. Yeah. yeah. That's how these were. Yeah. yeah. Mine was yeah, the yeah. Sony AX2000. Yes. Yep. Yours, yours yep. was the memory card version of my yes. first camera. Yes. That's right. Yep. That's right. Yep. Man. Huh. Yeah, so I don't remember what the exact order was, but it was they were all pretty well, pretty well right there together. And so because I didn't have any knowledge of there being potentially a Heartland waterfowl, I was just going to figure this thing out. But I knew that I was going to have to surround myself with some people that wanted to be a part of this. You know, I can't be in front of the camera and run the camera and do everything at the same time. That's what my thought process was at the time. And so who would I be able to recruit to, to come along and be a part of this deal? And so then Caleb was on board and then you and I bonded and, and in fact got a relationship and we started hanging out and then you, me and Caleb went out and we filmed some stuff. We filmed a dove hunt. <laughs> I I the September dove hunt in the cornfield where a dove was never shot. <laughs> <laughs> we may have shot. No, we shot some doves. We just never got of them, any of them on film. That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> so Logan, what is it that you remember when you, uh, did you always have a desire to start a Heartland waterfowl? Did you, I mean, obviously you were close to Mike and Sean because you went to school with them. Your dad's part owner of Heartland Bowhunters. So there was the proximity of that whole dynamic uh, allowed you to be very involved. You helped those guys film on, yep. on occasion when they needed somebody. So when, did the, when, what do you recall from back then when there began this discussion of potentially creating a, an extension of their brand? Was it something they came to you with? Was it something you were pushing for? Your dad was pushing for? What do you remember about that? Um, Man, I just remember going to school out in western Kansas at Hayes, and that's all around the same time that Heartland Bowhunter was starting, getting started, starting to gain traction in the industry. So naturally, I'm in western Kansas, and at that point in time, they're just strictly filming like whitetail hunts. So I just remember it was like, hey, if you can get any mule deer content, you know, that's a bonus, right? So. Mm. That's really, honestly, when I was in Western Kansas, I focused a lot of time on that. Um, and then... With really, the intent of trying to create content for HB? Yeah. Okay. I mean, to an extent, right? Like, I mean, it was basically like, hey, if you can film some stuff and help us out, sure, we'll use it. Whatever. I'm already doing it anyways, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And I did actually like the, the filming aspect of it. Um, then I left Hayes, went to K-State, Manhattan. Um, and I just, honestly, I just can't sit in a tree stand. <laughs> right. And, <We> <laughs> and I really enjoyed the waterfowl aspect in Western Kansas. And I, I, I like it even more on the Eastern side of state personally, yeah. you know, I, mm-hmm. I like big geese versus the littles and everything mm-hmm. like that. But, um, you know, it just, 
over time kept going and going. And I, I remember, you know, they always wanted to expand the brand at some point in time with another show. And it always was either like a waterfowl show or a fishing show. And then I'm kind of right there already in the motions. And then I think really just the pieces of the puzzles came together. Rex reached out and said, Hey, you know, I think I got a guy that might be good to handle more of the business aspect and everything and bring you on. You know, that's mm-hmm. kind of already doing the same thing. And that's kind of how we can join and everything. Yeah. Do you remember the first time you and I met? Oh man. I do. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Let's see. You're on the spot. Will he get it correct? Here we go. No. After the break. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. I honestly have no idea. Okay, so, well, you probably don't because you may have been several cocktails in at that point. But, um, so there had been some, and when I say preliminary discussions, these were very preliminary. If It was just, it wasn't even an HW thought. It was just maybe how can this Ronnie Phillips guy be involved in what we're doing here? Yeah, brainstorming sessions. Yeah, and somehow I think the word got back to you, whether it be through your dad or Rex or Sean or Mike, that this guy from the radio station might, you know, maybe we should link up, but we had never met before. But what I remember is being at a Kenny Chesney concert and we were at Arrowhead stadium. And I remember being in a suite. So I was on the, you know, I wasn't out. We were inside. It was, you know, hot outside naturally for the show. Gosh, was it Kenny Chesney or George Strait? I, I'm pretty sure it was Kenny Chesney, though. <clears throat> anyway, was it at Arrowhead? It was at Arrowhead. It was Kenny Chesney. And and so I'm in line to get a beer, and this guy walks up, and he was like, "Hey, you probably don't know who I am, but I'm Logan Burdett, and I'm so and so with my dad's Brad, and I went to school with Mike and Sean, and I'm like, oh, so this is the guy that Mike and Sean and Logan, I mean, rather Rex, have been telling me about. Cool, let's let's talk." And all he wanted to talk about was all the snow geese they shot in Canada. <laughs> snow geese, snow geese. Look at it. And then he's going through his phone. He's showing me all these pictures of these snow geese were shot. I'm like, where are the ducks? <laughs> where are the pictures of the ducks? This guy only cares. You don't remember this. No. Why? <laughs> so, side note to anybody listening. Yeah. If you don't know, Ronnie hates snow geese. I don't hate snow geese. Yeah, you do. <clears throat> I don't love them nearly as much as Logan does. Um, but that was my introduction to Logan. And it wasn't, I'm joking, you know, with, like it wasn't a, a bad experience by any means. It was just like, Hey, this guy's passionate. He's really into it. And so we, I think we may have exchanged some numbers and then it turned out then that this, now this would have been the stingray year, that deer right there. If you're watching on YouTube or Spotify and I had this deer on camera and I was really wanting to get after this deer and Caleb actually had gone back with me to Northeast Kansas several times to shoot this deer and Logan and I were also trying to find opportunities to go out and film some hunts. And it turns out that Logan went back to Manhattan one time to hunt with champ and, and Everett and some of these public waters that you were speaking about earlier. And, um, the weather conditions weren't right. The wind wasn't right. And we decided, you know what, we're going to give up on this evening hunt and we're going to go down to Manhattan and hunt with Logan, and that's when I met, I don't think Champlin was there, but Joe Papura was there. Everett was obviously there. And we came down, and we went out on the boat, and we filmed a hunt. That was the first time we ever hunted together. Yep, I remember that one. That was, oh, it was terrible. It was, well, we shot a few ducks, but, I mean, it wasn't a banger by any means. So, filming ducks on a public marsh, like, with no boat blind or dry bank, 
that's what we were doing. We were in willow trees and tall water. Like it was just not a fun thing. <laughs> it's something that we don't even want to try to attempt with cameras nowadays. But and back then it's what we knew. It, it, I mean, yeah. And the hunting was good. You know, the, the water rose up late uh, that year and it just flooded all that natural vegetation and mm-hmm. the ducks were in it. The problem is the water kept rising, you know, so to get back where the ducks wanted to be, it, you know, it was a difficult thing to do. And man, I remember sitting there, we're trying to cover ourselves. There we go. <laughs> I know the sun's right in our eyes <laughs> and like everyone's moving around. <laughs> Ronnie, don't move. Ronnie, don't <laughs> move. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> you tell me one more time not to move when every Tom, Dick, and Harry in this blind is moving, and you're the one calling me out. I'm going to lose my... Anyway. Well, I think it was the extra glare, maybe. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah, I, I, can, I can say that bald, now. Bald guy joke. No, okay. I can say that nowadays. Yeah, we're, yeah. We're, I'm getting close. So anyway, that, those were the first couple times that we got to hunt together. Uh, Matt then came later in the year and filmed me shoot Stingray, which we got on camera, and that got put on a Heartland Bowhunter DVD. I don't remember what season that was. But, I don't know. Four or five? I don't know. But that was kind of my first introduction to, you know, having created something. It wasn't the greatest content, and it was not the greatest shot that I put on the deer, but it was still cool, and, you know, now I've, I felt like I've kind of arrived a little bit, you know? like I came around the corner, and I could just see the back of an eyeball <laughs> that was in an interview that, yeah that was that was a quote from we that lost episode. the blood trail and i'm just walking this <laughs> I, can, I can just see his face sorry so for those who Flash are back. listening or watching this podcast you should know something about matt westcote he's very random all right so no. you're, you're just going to hear this throughout the entire podcast he's just going to shoot out random right? don't forget inappropriate yes there's that um <laughs> there is that often we could do a whole podcast, a two, three hour podcast on that. Anyway, so do you remember when um, Logan, like, we was like, okay, we're going to do this. We're this, Ronnie and Logan are going to be partners in this thing. They're going to, obviously we have other owning partners being that they were an extension of HB. Mike and Sean have part ownership. Rex and Brad have part ownership, but it's always been kind of like, even though they have part ownership, it's Ronnie and Logan's baby, and you guys take it and run with it. What What do you remember about that time when they, you know, it was like, okay, we're going to go do this. Let's let's run with it. Man, I feel like you sit here and you're like, oh, it was March 22nd, <laughs> 2012. You know what? I feel like that about you too, though. But yours is the bird numbers yeah, yeah. and what field we shot can, on what day. I can go, hey, we hunted this field seven years yes, ago on yes. this day. We shot 13 honkers, 27 snows, and four ducks. He's asking me to tell him about a meeting we had. <laughs> I'm just trying to I'm trying to get you to open up like your mind and your emotion of what you remember, what you felt. What did you feel when you're like, okay, HB has given us the green light. We're going to do Heartland Waterfowl. I'm going to be a part owner and a host and executive producer of this. I'm jacked up. I'm excited. Now I just got to work with this guy, Ronnie Phillips, who I don't really know. See, like, I think you make a bigger deal out of <laughs> us hating each other at the beginning. <laughs> I wasn't even going there. I was basically wanting to hear your excitement about being a part of Heartland Waterfowl and that we were actually going to do this. I mean, yeah, but I mean, at the same point in time, I'm sitting there like, how are we going to pull this off? Right? Yeah. Like that, the whole time, I that was all it was about. Like, how are we going to get enough content? I'm sitting there like, how are we going to do on earth? Are we going to film 13 episodes? We just went to Canada and I literally didn't sleep for two days, you know, and in a row trying, and I feel like we don't have enough content still, Mm -hmm. you know, because we didn't know what we didn't know. Right. Like 
we had no idea, you know, what it actually took to produce an actual, you know, 30 minute episode. Right. Correct. Um, so I think that was more of, you know, where my mind was. It wasn't as, Oh yeah, I'm excited to do this is more of, Hey, we have a lot of work to do in order to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then nonetheless, you know, obviously we're, we're all joking around about this now, you know, we end up at Texas roadhouse and. Okay. Before we get to Texas roadhouse, <laughs> before we get to Texas, you want to pull another minute detail prior that, to that. that. That's a pivotal moment in this, <laughs> the life and times of Heartland waterfowl. Um, so look, basically where Logan is going with this is that Logan and I did not, we were supposed to be business partners in the beginning. We did not see eye to eye. <clears throat> At all. And I think mainly it was because we were two type A personalities who like to be in charge and you were really uh, more experienced at the waterfowl hunting side than I was as much as I didn't want to admit it at the time. But I also felt like that I had some value and some expertise to to add to this thing. And and I didn't feel like that was maybe getting the credit or respect that I deserved. And so there was this continuous kind of headbutting thing. And I would vent about you and my frustration. I would vent to Matt and I would vent to Caleb. And it was basically talking shit behind your back. And then I got to a point where I just realized this is counterproductive. This isn't working. This thing is going to go nowhere quick if I don't change my, you know, swallow the humble pill and, and recognize what my faults are. And then that's when I called you and I said, look, we're obviously not getting along. Can we go to dinner? And you're like, yeah, I'll pick you up. And we went to Texas Roadhouse. And I remember starting that conversation saying, look, man, I've been talking shit on you because I've been frustrated with this whole situation. And today it ends. I remember saying that. I remember saying that, I, you know, I, this is the way I've been conducting myself and it's not going to, it's not helping you, I need to relinquish more control to you to let us, you know, lean on your expertise on the waterfowl hunting side and let you relinquish some of the control. To let me handle the business side. I mean, that's what I recall from that dinner. Oh, for sure. I mean, and I, I think it's been the same way ever since. It has. And that- yeah. I mean, that was it right there. And uh, I mean, the funny thing is, it's like, it wasn't that we hate each other, pissed off, whatever the case may be, but it's like, we didn't assign roles. We didn't have any literally like point A to point B. We were just zigzagging, trying to figure out that was the problem our, our way. Yep. And that was the start. Once that happened, things just clicked into place. And all of a sudden we had Beaver tail as a sponsor, you mm-hmm. know, right after that. And it was like, all right, now we're doing something right now. Mm-hmm. We can go do this. Now we can go do this now we can set aside the time for this. And looking back, like we had all the time in the world too, right? You Mm -hmm. know, like you still were at the radio station. So you had, you know, some minimal amount of, you know, vacation, but you could still, you know, work around that. And I mean, it's crazy. Now that you sit here and think about everything that we did to accomplish where we are now is like, yeah, that's why I like talking about it because it's easy to forget about all the crap we went through to get where we are today. I'm trying, I mean, to, I'm trying to rack my brain right now about the first time I met you at a Kenny Chesney concert. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you don't remember that. I thought I would have a bigger impact on that on you than that. I knew, I'm joking. Anyway, so I think one of the other pivotal moments before we even got to the Texas Roadhouse discussion was we went to try and film a pilot episode up in Mound City, Missouri. Oh, and <laughs> completely forgot about this. One. Yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, my buddy Buck, who's the one who introduced me to waterfowl hunting. Oh, 
If, what, what was, was that, it? What was that guy's name? That he um, said it wasn't Buddy. Buddy was his brother. Buddy, Buddy was, was his bro- Lucky was his dog. <laughs> Lucky was his dog. Oh man, For we, do, we reason, just talked about him this year. Oh uh, yeah, because he recently passed away. Yeah, um, uh, Jack is what I want to say, but I don't think that's right. Yeah. Anyway, so what was it? I don't remember. Anyways, anyway, it doesn't. I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but I mean it. It's, it's not a pivotal detail of this it, particular yeah, story. Exactly. We're, so we're going to mountain city to Ronnie's honey hole. Yeah. <laughs> that's where I was introduced. And I was like, man, look at all, because the first time I ever went hunting up there, it was, the conditions were perfect. And there was a black cloud in the sky. Every species you can imagine were dive bombing into our water hole. And I'm thinking, geez, this is, this is like everything you hear about. <laughs> the stuck This art. happens every day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So through my limited connections, I was able to, put us on a hunt uh, a couple days and it seems like we we had a decent first day the second day was terrible and then rain moved in which ended our trip early hold on hold on okay no he's got a story we he's gonna up. open up he's gonna now the we, now he's remembering some things we had a phenomenal first day yeah they were 30 yard shots we, but yeah well that's because the wind was blowing 40 mile an hour mm. but that's why it works that's why it worked out so well mm-hmm. we had overcast skies but we did we show it, we pull in this cornfield, and I remember the guy has these, like, 1974 Higdon full-body goose decoys that he painted like a mallard, and, like, I'm sitting These were some long-neck ducks. <laughs> Man, we're trying to film a TV show here, you know, like, what is... What are people going to think of this? And, and it was like the perma spread. And that was the difference between you and me because that was this, that was where you were actually thinking proactively. And I was just like, we're here. Let's just film it. Like, I wasn't worried about the deal. I mean, I probably should have been, but I, I wasn't. I remember like we were like joking around about it while we were setting up and everything. And there was other comments that were made from the guy, the guy that was taking us out or whatever that were pretty funny. But I remember that first group of duck work worked in. I mean, perfect. And we, it was actually we used it for the the pot, the trailer of yep. the yep. Of, to sell to sponsors at Shot Show our first year, and yep. I remember looking over at Nate Flynn, and Nate Flynn looks at me and he's like, "This is actually going to work." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we pile, I think we were only a few ducks short of a limit on that particular day. Yeah, yeah, and then. Then we decided not to hunt the next morning because the guy was like, well, we'll just come back out here. We'll leave the spread out here. And yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah I we'll, forgot we'll about pass. that part. We'll, we'll pass sleep sleeping. It was, we were sleeping it in the Heartland bow hunter campers that they were sponsored by there yeah. too in that trip. And it, it did, it rained like two or three inches that night. Remember? Yeah. It just poured and yeah. poured yeah. and poured the whole time. And thankfully we didn't have to hunt in the morning because yeah. I don't think anybody wanted to, no. but. I remember the cold rain because the camper that I was in ran out of propane that night. <laughs> I remember be, well, yeah, and I remember calling Logan literally on the cell phone. His camper is five feet away. And I'm like, and I had cleaned by myself all of those birds, by the way, after the first time. And everybody was like, well, what you did? I'm like, yeah, I just cleaned them all, right, whatever. And then I remember calling Logan and I said, hey. Our, our camper is out of propane. <laughs> as we're, and, as we're like still bundled yeah, up. Yeah, we're bundled up, freezing our ass off. And this camper is like, if you go switch our propane, I'll clean your birds tomorrow. <laughs> He's like, done. Go out there. We go out and hunt. Didn't even Did, fire yeah, around. Never fired a shot. <laughs> Didn't even yeah. shoot a bird. Got the best of that deal. Um, but I remember being really upset. Like I was really pissed off, even borderline sad because I was like, damn it, this trip I had high hopes for. This was going to be the first big step to getting a pilot episode, which then will allow us to go get sponsors and like everything's going to fall into place. And they didn't go the way I hoped it was going to go. And now here's another setback. 
another setback. And then Logan and I butted heads on that particular trip because the guy that I was putting my faith in because I was trusting Buck that, you know, we're going to go back to that same field the same day and we were going to get him. You know, and I was trying, and Logan is not happy about that. This is, why would we do that? Why are we going back to the same field? And I'm like, just trust me on this. And, it, and I, Logan was right, and I was wrong, and I had to swallow the humble pill, and I was driving back two hours going, damn it, he was right, you know, and I'm venting, and I'm pissed off, and anyway, then that leads to the Texas Roadhouse dinner, and really, that squashed it. That, from that point, that was squashed. I mean, we may have a couple disagreements here and there, but it wasn't nothing. No, you guys, it... it since that time, yeah, you guys have meshed extremely well, and you bo- and you both chose to recognize each other's strengths mm-hmm. and assign those responsibilities to each other. You guys have done an outstanding job of that for a decade now. Yeah, it's. I feel like any disagreement on any HW trip nowadays is it happens about ten minutes before shooting light. <laughs> <laughs> if there's going to be a disagreement, it's going to be about five to ten minutes. You know it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Just wait. Hold on. Oh, but just quiet for a second. Nope. Wait. Oh, Ronnie's <laughs> Oh, it's usually a little more than 10 or 15 minutes before shooting light. But, yeah. Um, yeah, we squashed it. And, and then so then we're moving in the right direction. But there was still a lot of work to do, as you alluded to. Um, great. We're on the same page. You're going to handle this side. I'm going to handle this side. But who? <laughs> Who's going to be on this team? Well, we know we had Caleb. He had the interest. We knew we had Matt, and he had the interest. And they both somewhat, for the most part, had the flexibility to do it. But it was going to take more than just the four of us. But that was the four first original people until um, we started hunting more locally around home. And then that's when Brian Crum, who was helping us get on some places that he had hunted, and we got to hunt with him some. And then we saw that he had a passion. and was an experienced waterfowl hunter. Hey, DT, you want to get Logan another, yeah, another cup of sauce? Um, and so we thought, hey, you know what? Well, this guy's local. He's got the passion. He's a firefighter, you know, so he's got the flexibility to go on some of these hunts. Let's see if he wants to be involved. So now we've gone from four to five guys. And wasn't long after that that we decided, okay, we need to plan a trip to Canada. And because the trip to Mount City kind of failed us, you know, not that we weren't able to use some of that content, but we wanted a true pilot episode. And so Logan decided that we were going to go to Saskatchewan and we were going to film our first pilot episode, which turned out great. So, you know, the, the nerves that you were having, how nervous you were, like when, when we went up to Mountain City. Yeah. Like that's how I was for Canada. It's like, all right, we really have to do this now. Right. Yeah. Cause we didn't, we didn't have much for that first year. You know, we filmed a lot, but we didn't really have a whole lot. Well, not not to mention the cost difference between going to Mound City versus going to Canada. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that and that was out of our pocket. Yeah, yeah we right. were all putting that up because Everybody we didn't have their way. Yeah, exactly. I was ecstatic when we went to Canada because last minute we picked up a shotgun shell sponsor and your dad picked up the tab for the fuel. And I was like Thank God, because I wasn't going to be able to eat next month. <laughs> Make no mistake, we had to pay that bill back. But we did. No. We we did have yeah. Spectra shot. Yes, it was Spectra. Was that what it was called? Yep. Spectra. Spectra. Yep. And the concept behind that ammo was that they put colored steel BBs in you their in their shot shells, so that in the case that you might shoot a banded bird, then you would be able to identify who shot that bird based on 
I guess it didn't have to be banded. It could be any bird you shot, but you could, you know, pull the BBs out of it and say, oh, well, I'm shooting red today. There's the red BB or yep. yellow or whatever. I think I still have a box of that in my safe. I do too. I do too. I think I'll keep it for just keepsake. Memento. That's right. Um, but let's go back to when you were scheduling or kind of planning that whole trip to Canada and you, like, you were kind of alluding to the nerves you had. What do you, what do you recall about that? We can get into the, the, the best hunt we've ever had of our lives, but- Prior to that, what what do you recall about so going I, up there? I remember I, I went up the year before with a different group of guys, and obviously I didn't want to step on their toes. Um, I knew I wanted to go later in the year because <clears throat> we went, I think, the sep- second, third week of September, that first year I ever went up. Um, and, no, maybe it was even the first week of September because we went pretty early again. We, we went like third week of September, yeah. our first year. Yeah. yeah, I think that's correct. And now we kind of turn, lean towards October, the first, second week of October, kind of just kind of see how the weekends fall or whatever. But um, I knew I wanted to go to a different area um, and focus more on snow geese. <laughs> right. I was tricked. Um, well, but, but mainly, on that trip, it was worth it. Mainly because it's just it's Saskatchewan, right, in the fall. And if there's a good juvie hatch, it you know, it makes everything – that much simpler for us filming wise. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, we give ourselves a good opportunity to get the footage we need to film a pilot episode. And that was the 100% the entire goal. Right. Mm -hmm. The other thing I had to worry about is trying to keep it cheap. Like you were just talking about the year before that. And I don't remember what fuel prices were, but like there was four of us that went, I think I did the trip for like 800 bucks. Like, I mean, license, everything like we were on a budget for sure. You couldn't even get to the border. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, so I'm trying to keep it around a thousand dollars. Like that's the thing. If you go to Canada for a thousand bucks, like that's a good deal, right? Sure. Um, I knew we wanted to shoot snows. And so I kind of just pointed to a map and said, let's go here. And it worked out. Um, I remember the following year, I was like, hey, let's switch it up again. We let's point to a map and let's go here. Oh yeah. And we luckily Champlin and I went a day or two before you guys came up and we we're like, oh, we're going back south. This is a terrible spot. <laughs> yep. I remember that. I do remember that. Um but now I mean I feel like we could hunt all over the whole province and be fine, you know? Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, that that first that first trip, I I mean, we stayed at that little farmhouse. Um, we stayed there two years. In yeah, a row. we did that. Three, we were there three. Two, was three. it three? Yeah. The, la- the last year was the final straw when all the ma- mice were dead in the oven. <laughs> <laughs> you preheat the oven to put the biscuits in there and it's just smoking uh, fur everywhere. Yeah, that was. It that was, was an old farm. We had, had, we had to have him come like rewire some of the electric while we were there. Char- he charged us like 100 bucks a night or something. Yeah, it was yeah. so cheap. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Kept the rain off of us. <laughs> So that first year it was Logan. Well, let's, let's do this. So was it just, oh, it was you. The first year it was you and Crum and Patrick Clark, right? No, Patrick wasn't until a year later. Was that the second year? It was me. No, you, no, no, no. It was me, you, Matt, Crum, and Cody Tangsgrid. Was it just five? It was just five of us that first year. No, no. Patrick Clark was there. No, Patrick no. Clark was there for the pilot. Yeah. Yes, he was because he was. we swapped out two people for the cameras on day three on, on the forty-five, yeah. the forty-five and one hour. Or I'm 40, sorry, forty-five minutes, the, the one twenty and forty-five minutes. Patrick Clark because was there. I was all set right. all the way back in that island of trees, and Patrick Clark was set yeah. up down close. So it was you, Crum, and Patrick that rode in the truck, 
and then Matt and I came later. It was just us two by ourselves, and then Cody living in North Dakota yeah, that's drove what up was. later and met us. Gotcha. That is what it was. And it seems like you had done some scouting before we got up there. Oh, that's what it was. We, we did an afternoon hunt, didn't we? Didn't we do an afternoon? Yeah. Like, we got yeah. there and, like, we immediately dropped our bags and jumped in the truck. No, so we, we actually had a bad hunt that morning, and then we knew of this field, and it literally had, like, 1,500 Roskies in it going into in the afternoon. There's like, a big goat field next to it. Remember that? I don't remember the goats. Um, I remember the Roskies. Anyways, yeah. I was like, I'm going to go scout. You guys go and just try to shoot something, right? Because we had, I mean, I think we got blanked that first day. That was the field that had the bees in it. Yeah. And we kept getting the crap stung out of us. But, but you shot, like, a limit. Yeah, no, we, we did shoot a lot of and geese like, that day. I mean, it was quick. Yeah, like, I, yeah. I, what I remember from that, it was just being dead-ass tired from driving 20, 22 hours, whatever it was, and then <clears throat> thinking that we were going to get there, be able to unpack and unwind a little bit, and yeah. Huggett was like, nope, get your stuff on, we're going. I'm yeah. like, you're kidding. Drop your bag, right? put on your camo, and pick up your gun, so let's go. I was so freaking tired, but we ended up having a great time. It was a yep. great hunt. Yep. Um, I don't remember shooting a limit, though. I remember close. getting a picture taken on the back of our my tailgate with the birds. I'm, I'm pretty sure we shot a three-man limit that night, or close or close to it. And then we struggled a little bit, and then it was when Logan and I decided to go scout. He was like, I want to go look at this water. This thing is loaded, whatever. And it was he and I, and we were filming each other. And I remember Logan saying, this is either going to be <laughs> lights out, amazing, or it's going to really suck. There's not going to be in, any in between. Uh, and this is the hunt that if you've ever heard us on any podcast or any uh, magazine article or whatever, we talk about the 120 and 45 minutes, which to this day is still probably one of my favorite hunts of all time. I don't know. Like, there, we've had some great ones. But, like, if you ask me my favorite hunt, that's going to be one of the first ones that I think of. Well, well I, first, I think we knew we had it then, right? After we filmed that hunt. And we were worried about getting the content for the pilot episode. Yes. I mean, I remember Matt was literally <laughs> spending all night trying to dump footage because, like, it took that long. You you had to dump it in real time. Yeah, like oh, yeah. that. We, we, it, it wasn't forever. it wasn't fast stuff. Yeah, it was my old college laptop. Yeah. Right. And as soon as that hunt, it, like, we we knew right. We knew we had what we needed. Mm-hmm. Right. That. Hey, we got a couple more hunts. Let's. But we could kind of step off the gas a little bit there. And guess what? We went on it again the next day. And shot like and another guess, 96 the next day or something. What The I guy think? the guy in Mountain City is like, no, we can't go back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, touche. Touche. That's right. It no, was, I, we hit that same spot. I forgot about that, but we did go back. I think we actually we shot we may 104 not, the next day. Was yeah, it that's what it was. 408. And right. we were there for two hours. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was rough. <laughs> but the cool thing about that that I remember was um, it was a couple things. One, I remember that we were going in like ninja style, you know, because we had the way we had to go in, we had to go around the pond where the birds were roosting. Oh, we took we turned the headlights off. We had to turn the headlights off. And uh, I think somebody saw an elk or a moose or something. Like yep. run out in front of them. Yep. And then we got parked. And keep in mind where we were setting up was probably 400 yards, if that, maybe less. That's pretty generous. Yeah. Was it 200 yards? <laughs> I we don't know. Were, like, we, it was just a, a goofy setup. Like we were in this little pinch point, right? Mm-hmm. And this field was kind of hidden by a lot of trees on each side. Like there was really no good way. And it wasn't very open. It was just real secluded. Like 
there wasn't birds coming from anywhere else. They were all coming right off that water and they were coming to this swath barley field. And, yep. and I just remember that we waited for shooting time and it was the hardest thing in the world to sit there and watch them just keep piling in. But I was like, we might only get one go at this. Yeah, that was the fear, was that once we shot, because we were shooting in the direction of the water. Yeah, shooting towards the water. And yeah. so we thought, well, if we shoot it in the first group, then the rest of the birds are going to get up, and then they're going to scatter. And it was not the case. Not the case. They, <laughs> they literally went to the far end of the lake, and then I was like, okay, well, now they're going to start going out the opposite direction. Nope. No, they, they can't. They coming. wanted to yeah. be in that field. Still not the case. <laughs> what I remember about that when it was something that I had never experienced before, because frankly, I had never done any snow goose hunting until we, well, well I guess we did try in Manhattan one time, but it, this was like the real deal. This was the real snow goose hunting. And I just remember being fascinated by the fact that these birds, when they were, they were just like, it was like, if you could imagine an airport in like, when an airplane's getting ready to land, there's another airplane behind it and another airplane behind it. And you can see the lights and there's another airplane. That's what it looked like with yep. these geese. They were coming in and they were like, and, and we weren't even are getting shot. <laughs> <laughs> we, we would, you know, you would think that you would, you would say, kill them. You're popping up out of the pop. We were using pop-up blinds then or not, uh, rather ground blinds. And you shoot into that, that group and, it didn't spook the other birds behind yeah, it. They, they just, just kept coming. They kept coming. They wanted to be where we were set yeah. up. And it was so ridiculous to the point where, like, you can see in the video where we're not even tucking in. Yeah. We're not tucked in. We're basically sitting up in our blinds. Shoving shells in your gun as fast as you can. Just shoving three more shells in there. And it was to a point where, like, it got so ridiculous that Logan was like, okay, okay, guys, we need to slow down. Yeah, we here. have to get this on film. Yeah. This needs yeah. to be coordinated. Somewhere there's like a two and a half minute clip, continuous clip. And I think we counted it one time. There's like 45 or 50 birds that died in a two and a half. I've got that footage it, right under this desk. It's yeah. I mean, we didn't shut our layout blinds. Yeah. Um, and if we weren't filming it, I can't even imagine how fast it would have been over. Well, because we had to rotate out me and Patrick. Well, I mean, you had to swap just, guys out. I, I was literally telling you guys to slow down. Like, yeah. Hey, we got to we got to get some more content out of this. Yeah. You know, the other part of what I remember about that particular day is. So I, I love to hunt, but I come from big game, like bow hunting whitetail is what gives me the adrenaline rush that day. I was so worked up and so excited. Like I could not control what I was saying. So I'm, so you're behind the camera talking. Oh, (laughs) Oh, I forgot about that. And you guys are like, Hey, you got to shut that down. Yeah. Like I forgot about that. (laughs) I was so worked up and I was just all over the place. I was, I mean, I, yeah, I was working. Well, that was the other part that I was going to mention that, you know, it was the excitement of just how well the hunt was going, but it was the excitement too, of knowing that, Hey, we're starting this thing. And in order for this thing to really launch, we've got to have a really good pilot episode. And I was pissed off about the Mound City thing. It didn't turn out the way it did. And now we are having the hunt, not just a good hunt, but it's a hunt of a lifetime. Absolutely, it is. We've, we've, never, topped, we've never topped that hunt. No, 120 snow geese and 45. We've come close. Plus, but, plus nine ducks on top of it. Yes, we were shooting ducks in exactly. there, too. So now I'm feeling like it was almost like this emotion of, it's like, thank God. Yeah. This like sense of relief. Like, yep. oh, this actually might happen. Yeah. We might actually be able to pull this off now and this thing might be able to, to yep. actually come to fruition. And then I remember just um, after it all being done and couldn't just chomping at the bit for that episode to get produced and couldn't wait 
to watch it and couldn't wait to get it burned to CD so, or DVD so that I could go to SHOT Show and pass it out to as many people as I possibly could. I remember before we left for that trip, and I don't remember if it was Sean or Mike or whoever it was, but they said, guys, just make sure you get enough. Just film everything. Oh, yeah. And they never told us that again. <laughs> we, yeah. had, we had something like 28 hours. No, it was more than that. It was closer to 40. It filled a five. It filled my, because I just, I had a 500 gig hard drive and it filled it. Let's say something back with the video. Yeah. Today. Yeah. You're right. Cause I remember it was about a half terabyte of yeah. footage that we had for just that one yeah. trip. It was, it was close to 40 hours of video that you, that they then had to take and condense down to 22 and a half minutes. Well, I also remember if you go back and you look at that footage now, even with us having done this 10 years. There was a lot of shit footage too. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, so but they had to comb through it. They, they they were telling us because they knew that we were green with our experience in running a camera that we just needed to film everything, and then that way yeah. they had stuff to choose from. And then when we kept doing that, as we were getting better, <laughs> yeah. it was like, okay, you're getting better at this. How about quality over quantity? Yeah, time to narrow down. Yeah, exactly. De- delete your repeat shots. Set your shots up. So we get the we get the pilot episode done. Turns out great. We're some. It's something we're really proud of. Um, and so now it's time to get sponsors. And you kind of alluded to this earlier. One of the first, if not the first, I don't think he was the first, but he was the first significant one. Rick Olson with Beavertel was a pre- what we call in the industry a premium sponsor. And that was, that was a big one because that one was going to be the one that was going to basically, if, you just, if you're trying to break down your budgets and figure out, all right, I'm budgeting this much money to be able to travel to this many locations, and if I go to Canada, it's going to cost this much money, North Dakota, this much money. You know, you're trying to break it all down. Well, this particular sponsorship was pretty much going to cover the cost of just the travel for that first year to go. Now, it wasn't going to cover everything, obviously, but now, and that's a huge sense of relief because the thing that we talked about when we launched the business was, the goal was to make the business self-sufficient in its first year. Now, we did borrow some money from Rex and Brad to help us, you know, go do the pilot episode of which we all pay back. But it was, aside from just getting some fuel money, like the goal was to be self-sufficient in this first year. And getting that first sponsorship with Rick and Beavertel was monumental. Yep. That's, I mean, I remember that. And then there was a few other little tiny sponsors. I remember Swarm Stick being one of the very first. You don't, you don't remember Swarm Stick? No, I'm just remember you being a bulldog with the sponsor. <laughs> Man, oh, talk about bef- before the sponsors. Uh, it's just the Heartland waterfowl hats. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was a bulldog with that. Yeah, Ronnie was selling anything and everything he Oh man. $15 anywhere he can get it or whatever they were. 20. 20. 20 bucks. So I'm still working at the radio station. And you know, I mean, let's face it, you know, like you start something like that and you just you're you're excited, right? And so naturally you're wanting to just get that logo. My brother-in-law created the logo. Well, I remember we went back and forth on the logo forever too, trying to figure out how can it be Logan's obviously wearing the hat if you're watching it on Spotify or YouTube, um, we were trying to somewhat emulate the HB logo. But obviously, then instead of using the B, we use a W. Instead of the, the deer antlers, we're using a bird of you know some sort. And we tried it coming in from the other side. And I mean, we went back and forth. And then finally, we landed on this one. And we all agreed that was, that was the one. But once we got the logo, it was like, okay, now we don't even have a show yet. Don't even have a show yet. Yeah, we had, I we even, hadn't even traveled yet when you started. No, selling. we had. We, we, I don't think we had the pilot episode okay, produced yet. I don't think I had seen the pilot episode yet. But we, I, I'm just, I'm just, I can't wait to like tell the world this new thing that I'm going to do. The banner that you hung up at PBR, I can still see that in my uh, head. There was two of them. Yeah. There was two banners hung up there. 
And actually, that was a little bit premature because I remember the <laughs> banner that was hung up actually said that it was going to be coming in that particular year, and we weren't ready to come out because we were, I think right. we were shooting for third quarter the very first year, and we weren't ready. So then we decided to move and launch our very first season in first quarter, which yep. been you know the first week of January. Yep, and. Um, so I had to go back to PBR with scissors and I had to, I had to cut off where it says coming in July of 2013, I think is what, or 2012. 20, yeah, and then, January 2013. and then because then January of 2013 yeah. is when the season launched. Yeah. Um, but yeah, PBR, which for those who may not be familiar with the Kansas city area who are listening, PBR is a nightclub, a country nightclub that I had to do many appearances for in my days of working at Q104 and had a great relationship with them. And so, they allowed me to not only hang banners in their establishment, they allowed me to solicit uh, the Heartland Waterfowl hats, which I would literally walk around with a sleeve of hats. And the entire place was covered in them, too. On, it was. On I sold like, Who is this guy? Who is yeah. this guy? And they would just come back every week with yeah. their hats on. <laughs> there were people that bought the hat that I didn't know that just loved the hat because it looked cool and it felt like it was a good form-fitting hat. It was back then when unstructured hats were pretty popular. Um, and then there was those guys that just knew me that I had relationships with and didn't have give two shits about hunting or waterfowl hunting or just hunting in general, but they wanted to support a friend. Yep. And for them, it was 20 bucks to do it. Hey, you know, whatever. But you're right. There was a time there. If you came down to power and light on a hot country Thursday yep. night, you would see it was nothing to see 10 or 15 people walking around with the Heartland waterfowl hat. Yep. You better go down there on Thursday this week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I do appreciate the PBR allowed me to do that because we weren't, we didn't have any money, you know? And so it was like, okay, look, if if it takes me walking around and being that guy, I'm just going to sell. I I look like a lunatic doing it, but I didn't (laughs) really care. He has no shame. I had no shame. (laughs) Actually, I had quite a bit of pride, frankly. It was like, I had a lot of pride in the fact that this was something that we had created and, and I was, you know, an integral part of it. And, and you know, and that's the way I explained it to everybody. I said, look, we've got this show. We're getting ready to launch, but we're trying to raise the funds to, you know, be able to get, have, have the capital to get this thing launched. And in order to do that, this is what I'm doing. And people actually respected it. They yep. expected the, the aggression and the pursuit and the grind yep. to do it. And to, for them, you know, they're sauced up. They've got a, three or four <laughs> drinks in them. They're like, oh, what's 20 bucks? Oh, let's help the young lad out. Whatever, you know? Yeah. And I'm sure there was probably somewhere through there. Hey, I'll get you a beer if you'll buy a hat. Oh, I may have swallowed yeah, because, <laughs> because here's the thing. I never had to buy drinks. <laughs> right, you know, they right. think I'm buying the drink, right. but I was like, hey, Scuba Steve, give it to the guy. Yeah. Beer. yeah, no problem, Ronnie. Yeah. Here's a sex so, with an alligator yes. shot. Yes. <laughs> sex with an alligator shot. That will also be a memory that, well, I was we Liz. Yeah, Liz? Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. So, um, what, uh, what do you remember then after we obviously, like I said, swarm stick beaver tail, I know Buck back then he had, uh, he still has the business, but it's a uh, Heath shooting sports. He came on John Francis, who's a local guy. He came on board and threw us a little bit of cash. Yeah. Um, trying to remember Bushnell boots Bat- was somewhere in there. Bass pro was always Bush. Yeah. Bass was always they came there. late. I mean, they came literally like two weeks before the uh, first episode aired. And it was like this major win because yeah. it was also one of those huge yep that well, was back a, then with that was a joint deal huge. right <sighs> with hb no i think that we actually had bass pro before hb did. i think i think that is right i, I can remember i really do like, <laughs> yeah check us i out. do i know i think i remember <laughs> yeah take that mike and sean <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i i think i do remember that uh feeling that way 
somewhat. Um, but Yeti, so Yeti, Yeti Carlson was, has been there from day one. Carlson, that's a good story because that guy told me no probably. Carlson's choke tubes, by the way, is what I'm refer- who I'm referring to. Scott Carlson, is a, he's in Atwood, Kansas, which is in like what, five, six hours away from here. And I remember just beating that guy up, trying over and over. And, you know, there's the old saying in sales, no doesn't mean never, just means not right now. And when he told me no, I just never stopped. I just kept calling back. And he just said, look, Ronnie, I don't do first year shows. I just don't do them. I've been burned too many times, but I never, I, I, I remember him saying yes, pissed off. <laughs> like, damn it, look, Ronnie, I'll you're, pay you to go away. Pretty much. That's pretty much what it was. He was like, you're not going to stop calling me, are you? And I said, no, I really think this is a good fit. And I think, and I don't want anybody else but you to be our choke tube sponsor. And he was like, all right, I'm going to do it. But I swear to God, if you screw me over on this deal, <laughs> Never, ever again. Never again. I can see him saying it. Oh, <laughs> he, I just annoyed the piss out of him, really. And I don't know if that's even fair either. I mean, I, I was trying to be somewhat tasteful and strategic about it, but. But you annoyed the piss out he, of him. He would tell you the same thing. Probably. Oh, 100%. 100%. Oh, I know he would. I, I, I mean, sat he's, there and listened. He, he's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's the, and now we're good friends, great friends, and we keep in touch frequently. And, and so I'm proud to say that um, Carlson's Choke Tubes has been with Heartland Waterfowl since the very beginning. Here's another story as it pertains to a sponsor. It was the first year we went to SHOT Show. That was, that was not only mind-blowing from the standpoint because everybody had told me what SHOT Show looks like, and it's at the Venetian, if everybody's been to Vegas before in the Venetian. And what's the... Um, the Sands Expo. Sands Expo, thank you. And it's huge. Like this, this convention center, if you will, is just ginormous, and there's two levels and it's absolutely stacked, packed full to the brim with all of these vendors from all over the world. And I remember Rex telling me, he was like, this is going to blow you away. And walking in and being like, how in the world am I going to be able to go booth to booth and talk to every one of these people? But I, I, I remember having shin splints at the end of the week because my legs hurt so bad. He forgot his orthopedics. <laughs> no, I was exactly. I was wearing cowboy boots. I was trying to look you know, professional. And I learned then you don't wear cowboy boots to shot show if you're going to be walking the showroom floor. But what I do remember is that I think it was the first or second morning and Sean Luchtel from Heartland Bowhunter and I were just kind of browsing. We don't have any plans, no meeting set up that particular morning. We're just kind of walking around and we happened to walk by the Remington booth and out of the Remington booth comes a guy by the name of James Lawson who worked for a company called Brothers Company, Brothers and Company, which was an ad agency that represented Remington. And James had walked out and I remember, I will never forget this till the day I die. He walked straight up to Sean and was like, Hey, how's it going? Because at the time Heartland Bowhunter had done some side projects um, with other uh, companies outside of who they have as a sponsor. And they had done some stuff with, with James and some of his clients and, and maybe even Remington in particular. I think they helped produce actually a video for the Remington 1911. Um, anyway, I digress. So, James was a huge fan of HB, recognized where they were in the industry because, let's face it, Heartland Bowhunter was kind of at the time, and still is, but was really recognized at that time as being kind of the new uh, cutting edge. Yeah. Uh, they, they were they, the next generation. They everybody really changed everything. Yeah, the they did. They really Videography-wise, like, yeah. it, it, they literally, it, everything got reproduced differently mm-hmm. as soon as everyone was like, uh, we're not going to make it if we don't change what we're doing. Yep. 
because everyone got stagnant in the industry. Everyone yeah, well, did. outdoor shows were, was about how many kill shots and, you know, just showing a bunch of kill shots over and over and over again and putting it behind a bunch of, or, you know, putting a bunch of uh, bad rock and roll music behind it. And that's what, if you did that, that was an outdoor TV show. And then HB came along and they tried to take more of a cinematic approach, you know, trying to do a documentary style, you know, tell a story creatively through the lens of a camera. I mean, I don't know how many times I've you know, used that phrase in the last 10 years, but it really was the truth. And they're using jibs and, and slider shots and all of these different cinematic tools um, to, to capture those really creative shots. And, and everybody was like, whoa, what is this? And people like, that were watching this, it wasn't only the guys who were enjoying the outdoors that were watching this stuff, but the women, their spouse, their significant other were sitting down watching too because they were so compelled by the creativity of the content. It was no longer just about harvesting animals. So then, you know, we, it, it, it's exactly right. And so then, you know, HB starts, you know, coming out with this and then all these other new shows start coming out and they wanted to be, oh, we're the HB of elk hunting or we're the HB of waterfowl hunting or we're the HB of fishing, or, you know, whatever it was, like everybody, Heartland Bowhunter was the standard. So go back. James Lawson comes out and he's like, look, you know, love you guys. Love what you're doing. Naturally, you're a bow hunting show. What we do with Remington, it's, there's no fit there. But if you ever come out with something or you come across somebody who might be wanting to work with you, let us let us know. And I'm standing right there listening to this and I'm like. Sean, say I'm right here. I'm right here. Right here. <laughs> Sean says, well, actually, this is Ronnie. And, you know, he's uh, in partnership with us and starting uh, a new waterfowl show. And the look on James's face was like, okay, let, let, you know, he was stumbling all over stuff. We want to be a part of this. I want to know more information. And that day, and I bet it wasn't, I bet it wasn't 30 minutes later. We're getting a text message saying, we've got a meeting set up for tomorrow at 11 a.m. in this particular conference room. And we all showed up and... It was like, we want to do this. We haven't seen anything yet. We don't know anything yet. I mean, they asked us some questions naturally. They wanted to get a feel for who we were and what direction this thing was going. But when they heard everything that they pretty much anticipated, they were like, we're in. And we, all we ask is that we get first right for first right of refusal. I was like, this is my very first shot shot show. And we're already going to walk away with this thing with not only a gun sponsor, but because Remington was then manufacturing ammo too, like we just knocked out two of our biggest sponsors yeah. in one meeting just like that. And I'm thinking, this is going to be a catwalk. <laughs> like, holy crap, I'm riding the coattails of Heartland Bowhunter. Like, I'm just going to walk around with Sean all day. And like, well, I'm just going to get all of these categories filled in no time. Sean, where are you taking me next? Yeah. It was kind of like my first duck hunt, my first true duck hunt. Like, it was the conditions were perfect, you know, and like you kind of joked earlier, like, it's always like this. Yeah. Well, I... Same thing kind of happened on that deal. You know, locked down a major sponsor just like that, thinking that all the rest of them were going to come that yeah. easily, yeah. you know, right after that. And it's not how it worked. There was a lot of grinding that took place after yep. that. So aside from Remington, and we talked about Yeti and Swarmstick and all these others, is there any other sponsors that you remember from that first year, like that kind of, you know, had an impact? It was Dead Ringer in there? Dead Ringer was in there also. Yep, they sure were. The old um, duck buster. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember having to try to. You know, also, so I was the <sighs> one who ended up shooting that site the longest just because it was like it was the iconic Dead Ringer site. Mm -hmm. But what I found for me was I used to flock shoot geese when we get into snow geese. And that site forced me to focus on a bird. Okay. It's just because he was using his wrong right, eye. Wrong, wrong in the wrong <laughs> eye. Shoot my left eye. You yeah. know what? There may be some truth to that. 
So okay. why don't you explain to everybody what the Dead Ringer site was for those who don't yeah, know what the so, Duckbuster I mean, was? Relatively standard front bead. And then your rear, for guys that shoot any type of a rear sight on a shotgun, it was basically the outline of a football. Mm-hmm. So the outline of a football, if you're shooting on a left to right or a right to left shot, it was basically a built-in lead is really what it was. So, you, I mean. It was like just having this oval sight that was I, on top I, of your it wasn't rail. For, it wasn't for me. It, it's I mean, and it's not for a lot of guys, but for me, it, for I, me, it put on horse blinders. For turkey hunting, I can understand the application, yeah. and that's really their that's really their market. Yeah, it just it wasn't for me. It was something on the gun that I wasn't used to my whole life. You know, yeah. here yeah. throw that on there. I think that maybe so. You you remember shooting trap with me? I used to shoot my twenty four inch turkey gun yeah, shooting trap. I do, and it and it had a rear sight on it. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that may be why. I was comfortable shooting that. I don't know. I don't either. But I remember you'd bust the hell out of Clay's on a 24-inch barrel. <laughs> it was loud as hell, but I mean. Well, that was yeah, tur- the turkey grip and all. Yeah, exactly. No, no tur- it, was, it, was a, it was a standard stock, but it was a tw- yeah, 24-inch ported 12-gauge. Wow. I just remember, like, no matter what sponsor we got, I was so married to the idea that they actually wanted to give us money that I – it wasn't a matter if I liked it or I didn't like it. I knew we got to ha- we had to have that money. Yeah. We had to have that money to yeah. get this thing going. So I was a whore. Basically is what it came down to. <laughs> and thankfully, Ron, Ron, thankfully, Ronnie, Ronnie says 20 bucks is 20 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. You need a hat, you need another hat. <laughs> hey, you buy you buy you buy two, I'll throw in another one for free or half price. Anyway, no, well, but, but, but thankfully we don't have to, we don't have to deal with that anymore. Like no. the sponsors we have now are awesome. Like, yeah. They're the products we want to use, you yep. know, and yep. it unfortunately has, it's taken a long time to get there, you know, and that, I mean, props to you really, you know, well, that's not really, I appreciate that. But I mean, it was me just understanding that in order for this thing to have any legs and to get to where we want to get from point A to point B as quickly as possible, we had to have the capital. And here's the other thing. If I'm just being completely honest, I left my full-time job to do this. Yep. I left a full-time job roughly making when it was all said and done with remotes and appearances and everything that I was doing about $55,000 a year. And I was leaving it all behind. And let me also add that our daughter was born that same year. My daughter was born on August uh, 24th and a month later, Literally almost a month later, I think it was I think it was September twentieth yeah. that I left the radio. Or no, I left the radio station September nineteenth, and September twentieth, the next day we left for Canada. Yeah, I was, that's what I was. I remember filming yeah. that when we were leaving that first because it was less than a month. And when I got back, so that's the day after I leave the radio station. So now all I know is that hey, I'm on vacations. Kind of what it feels like, right? Right. I'm not prepared for what kind of life I'm coming home to. Now when I come home, I'm no longer getting paid to do anything because I sure as hell wasn't making any money at Heartland Waterfowl at first. Yep. And I'm going to have to, to, in order to compensate for the money that I'm losing, having a full-time job, I'm going to have to be a stay-at-home dad. And, and I've never been a dad before. And I've always worked in the, live, in the limelight. And now all I know is that I've got to take care of this infant all day long. And all I know is the four walls of my home. So I was hell-bent to raise money as quickly as we could. So <laughs> Get me out of here. It was tough, though. I mean, it was tough. No, it was I, re- de- I was depressing. I, was I remember like, some of the conversations we had back then and just how, how I mean, you were struggling with some of that. And where, where do I go? Where I knew I it was for a good reason. Right. I knew it was the sacrifice that I was going to have to make in order for this thing to go. But for this thing to have to, to take off and have the legs that it needed, 
I was going to have to make the sacrifice to be full time with it yeah. and give it my, my 100% of my attention. And I remember there being a lot of late nights. I remember like, you remember this, me like sending emails to you at like three, four o'clock in the morning saying, Hey, I've been working on this, working on that. I mean, that was just, that was how committed I was. That was the grind. Yeah. Yep. Um, but like Logan said, you know, you eventually then, I think it was after year two, I remember feeling the, the pressure kind of being lifted after season two, because we didn't really make any money. We the business was self-sufficient. I mean, I may have made a little bit, a couple thousand dollars or whatever for what we had, but most of it was for budgeting what we were going to do the next year. All right. Well, we knew this is what it cost to do all this, but we only did seven originals the first two years. And we knew that we were eventually wanting to get up to 13 episodes, which means you have to go on twice as many trips, which means you're going to be spending twice as much money. And I also remember that we weren't paying for everybody's licenses in the first year. Everybody was picking that up and people were having to pay, buy their own food. And we wanted to get ourselves to a point where these guys who are basically volunteering their time to be a part of this, you know, that they, they don't have any out of pocket expenses. And so I think it was by year three that we finally felt like, okay, we're finally at that position now where I can make a little money you know, that's not going to replace my radio station salary, but it was enough to make me feel like I don't have as much pressure put on myself to contribute to my family. And I'm not as worried about losing these guys on our team because they feel like we're taking advantage of them. They're getting some, not only are they getting to travel and be a part of this awesome experience, but you know, now it's not costing them anything to do it. They're basically getting to travel the country for free. Yep. And that's, I've told people that a handful of times too, that, When we started Heartland Waterfall and everything, you know, I was working 60 hours a week to make $38,000 a year or whatever it was I was making at that time at the auto shop. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, I got, I got to find a way to do the things that I love to do and not have it cost me money. And so that was one of the things for Heartland Waterfall. It was like I, I was able to go in here and do the things that I love to do. Now I got to work. Don't get, like, anybody listening, these trips are work. Yeah. When we're, you know, when we're filming all and all the stuff and everything, but it, but I was able to go out and do hunting trips and have it cost me very little. Or like you said, by year three, year four, we got to the point that it wasn't really costing us anything. You just, you just get to experience things that you wouldn't get to. Absolutely. You were able to be a part. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and I think really looking back on it, that's, that's the whole reason I wanted to do it. I remember we were just talking about thousand bucks to go to Canada. I was like, how can I not pay for this? Right. Mm -hmm. How can I go to Canada and not have to pay for it? It was that a big reason behind why you wanted to do the TV show? Honestly, yeah. yeah I, mean, I mean, yeah, be honest. Looking, looking back on it, for sure. I mean, like I said, I went to Canada. And it's like, all right, close to 800000 bucks, whatever. It's like, okay, how, how can I hunt as much as I want to and it not cost me a dime to do it? Now, I can also sit there and say, in the last nine, ten years, I have hunted without a camera maybe three to five times, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's gives and takes, right? Sure. Um, but that's all I know now. That's all you know. Yep. I mean, there's times we get to go out, you know, without a camera here and there. Um, I would say you guys more than any anyone else, but I, I, I feel guilty when I don't go out with a camera, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's what we're here to do. That's what we're here. And it's like, well, you feel guilty when they really start doing it right. And you're like, Oh my God, if we just had a camera rolling out, how great would this be? Exactly. Why, why miss the opportunity? And now, I mean, it's second nature, you know, it's, this is the only thing I know in the morning. Mm -hmm. Hey, yeah, we got to get there an extra hour early just so we have time to set up and, you know, get the camera blind ready and, you know, and 
here's the other thing. You sit there and how many, how many birds have we not shot because we're filming? <laughs> right? I think we talked about that on Dakota's podcast, the juice when I was on there with him, just the amount of birds that, that we could have been, we could have killed. But and we that's didn't. a hard thing to show on TV too, you know, is, you know, I feel like when we portray a lot of our episodes on TV that we might've shot this goose at, 10 yards, right? But on TV, it might look at 25, right? Or For sure. Further than it really is or whatever the case may be. But, like, the amount of sh- birds that we just let go to the left or go to the right or I'm just being too greedy calling the shot, whatever the case may be, like, thousands, thousands, mm-hmm. you know? And it, it turned from my perspective of being a, hey, let's shoot as many as we possibly can to, no, let's shoot the most we can the in right here yeah right right, here right in front of us yep right here and like i i sit there uh and look back on like fred zink's old videos for instance and it's like same thing with him it's like boys we're not shooting them unless they're right here yeah and that's what you have to do and there's going to be days that they don't go right there yeah and there's nothing you can do about it you did everything you possibly can and guess what you just got to shake that one off and move on the next day yep how many people have we hunted with over the last 10 years that don't want to hunt with us when we film? <laughs> a lot. Be- because because we don't let them shoot birds. Big Mike hates hunting with us. That's right. Big, Big Mike, Mike in North Dakota. Don't bring a camera. No, Big Mike just wants <laughs> He will occasionally. Yeah, he does. I know. If he knows it's the... If he knows it's... Um, a Canada snow goose hunt. <laughs> <laughs> if he knows it's the peas, knees, yeah. you know, and if it's a jacked field, then yeah, he'll do it. But, you know, typically... There's he, a bunch of them, though. Yeah. It's a, it's a wake-up call for people who don't understand the input and the things that we restrict ourselves on when we do these episodes. How, how many buddies around around here that have come out and... Oh, I yeah. wouldn't say get angry. Angry is not the right no, word. Frustrated. Like, it's yeah. just like, they're oh, like, oh, I'll just go buddy hunt next why week. Why can't we shoot that one? We could have had 15 more birds for our limit if we were shooting that one over there. Yeah, yeah. well, the problem is, is yeah. that when any time these people who, you know, find out that they have the opportunity to hunt with a TV show, then they're thinking, that is the coolest thing ever. That sounds awesome. I might have the chance to be on TV. I can't wait to tell my friends and family about this experience, but they don't ever take into consideration what is involved with doing that, and it's everything that Logan and you have been saying. And so then they walk away from it going, that sucked. I could have shot that bird and I could have shot, I could have shot my limit like two hours earlier and I had to sit here because they had to film this and film that. I never want to do that again. Yeah, but on the flip side of that, there's also people that have come and hunted with us that haven't seen birds decoy that way before. That's true. Because they don't wait, you know, and Gus isn't one of those examples of not waiting, but there has been plenty of new hunters that have hunted before that has not seen the birds sit on your lap, if you will, right? Because yeah. they're calling the shot five seconds before that or yeah. whatever the case may be. And, um, you know, to each of their own, right? There's there's no wrong way to go about it, you know? But for us, we have to have them right there. We've also learned that if we are going to have somebody who is going to hunt with us that has never been in this situation before, it is very important that we have a come-to-Jesus talk before we even get started. Yep. Okay, guys, this is going to be a new experience for you. You're probably going to get frustrated, and here's why. So let me just tell you about all the bad shit that's probably or possibly going to happen <laughs> so that you are forewarned of it. And then and then what typically happens when you communicate that to them, they're now expecting it, and they're not understanding. They're not sitting there going, 
Well, yeah. why are we shooting these? Yeah. Why are we shooting those right there? You know, and then they're like, okay, well, this guy told me they, they're, we're, we're going to wait for them to be on the hole because if they're not on camera, then it defeats yeah. the purpose of why we're here. Oh, especially in pit blinds. Mm, Shoot yeah. them out the back. Yeah, right. There's been that experience before. So I remember like just this last year, which you guys, actually, I don't know if that part made it on the final cut, but it is in the YouTube video that um, Dakota and Q put together. The guys that, you know, came to the field after we got there that had permission as well. And we asked, we, there were two young guys in Kansas and we said, why don't you guys go ahead and join us? And they had never done it before. And we had to sit there and kind of explain to them how it went. They walked away, you know, like, because like you said, they weren't used to finishing birds in our lap, yeah. you know, and, and just having that experience. And then knowing that they got to, you know, be a part of the experience that is now captured and is going to be documented. And it's now there for a lifetime for yeah. them to be able to revisit. I mean, th- that was the highlight of their life. Well, and talk about how much did that mean to them? Because it, that, it was those are the guys that sent you guys the gift. Yeah, Trey, Trey sent us that plaque. The, the thing. I don't know part. that I ever saw that. You never saw that. He, no. Um, it's it's like it a like rock a or something. Family member or whatever. It was like a yeah, like a rock plaque. That, oh, really? Uh, he had laser engraved our our uh, pile photo on it. Oh, that's really cool. Said, I know. I didn't know as, that. As a thank you for thank letting you, them join you guys. Thank you at the top. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Trey. Appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so talk about I two mean, great guys. I yeah. Mean, no, I yeah. mean, that's I, that's what I like about waterfowl hunting. I exactly. can't do that in a deer stand. I can't tap Ronnie on the shoulder while I'm at a Kenny Con- <laughs> Chesney concert and say, hey, you want to hunt? <laughs> oh, geez. Um, I had a thought where I was going, and now I can't remember what it was. Do you, um, do you remember, like... It, okay, this is what I was wanting to ask. So I asked this a little bit earlier, but I don't know that I ever got the answer. Did you pursue Mike and Sean, your dad, Rex, to start Heartland Waterfowl, or did they pursue you? I don't, I don't even know if I really remember, but I think it was just I was already doing it. And I think it was more of, hey, there, there's an opportunity here. We need to put the pieces of the puzzle together to do that, and we want to expand the brand you know, some way, shape, or form. Like I said, they wanted to do a fishing show too, but mm-hmm. there wasn't a fit at that time. And I, I was already here filming, already had the waterfowl. I was already filming waterfowl hunts for the last four years already. Gotcha. I filmed all of our f- hunts when I was in Hayes. I filmed, uh, oh man, I think almost all of them when I was in uh, Manhattan too. So I'm already doing that. I've already, you know. I but were you doing it. that just for fun? Yeah. And I mean, just because I was already filming stuff, you know, with HB, you know, I, I would go back and hunt with Mike and Sean here and there. And, um, but it just wasn't for me. Right. I just, I can't sit in a tree stand. Do you right. remember <clears throat> I Facebook messaged you before we ever talked Heartland Waterfowl and before you and I ever met, it was after you'd come back from Canada the year before. And I, and you were putting it all over Facebook that you were, you were filming stuff. You were doing this, doing that. And I said, Hey, if you ever need somebody to help you film, you let me know. And you were like, hey, don't expect Logan to remember that. No, (laughs) obviously. Right. I, my first year in Canada, I filmed three of our four, like four first hunts. And did you just shoot your 20 birds and just be, and then start filming the rest? No, I didn't didn't even hunt. So you, you spent a thousand dollars to go to Canada in four days. You just filmed. Yeah, there was, I mean, for fun, three or four. Yeah. There was three or four hunts that I literally just sat there and filmed now with with no, no premeditated thought of what you were going to do with that footage. You just did it for fun. Yeah. So one of the days we're up in Northeast Saskatchewan. Um, I just got 60 D yep. With (laughs) with the Sigma 24 to 70. Yep. Right. Like we all did. I'm behind (laughs) the three guys that I'm, um, with 
and it's foggy. Literally, we are at the bush, right? And Canada geese just started coming in. It's foggy, and they're just in our face, right? I remember filming that whole entire hunt, going, and it took me like six and a half hours to dump the footage, right? And then deleted it all didn't save the hard drive and that was oh. like that was that, i was like all right never again you know yeah but i, I, I filmed I some other hunts i had a hunt that year we shot a limited ducks in the afternoon it was like 85 degrees i'm in like a cutoff shirt and shorts i mean it was one of the most miserable things ever um but you know i filmed part of that um i used to set up time lapses behind first thing early in the morning and put it on the automatic interval and the timer yep. and I would literally just let it run while we we're hunting. Um, and that was, yeah, I literally filmed a bunch of those hunts. I filmed a ton of hunts in college. I mean, a ton of them. And nothing ever, be, not, you did nothing with any I'm, of that I'm stuff. I'm sure I got the tapes under my desk, just like you do. <laughs> <laughs> let's, go, let's go dig through his archives and find some of that gold. Well, I, I, I am now kind of inspired to pull out some of that content from that Canada, that first pilot episode. Um, <clears throat> so... Uh, the, so I guess where I was going with that question was, is that your intent for being involved with Heartland Waterfowl wasn't really necessary to necessarily to have a business or anything like that. It was just like, look, I want to be able to travel the country. I want to be able to go and experience, experience as many new places to hunt waterfowl without having to pay for it. Yeah. And obviously I knew there was an opportunity there, right? Yeah. We already have yeah. Heartland Bowhunter who's like paving their way in the industry, like what can I do? Because I don't want to sit in a tree stand. Gotcha. Right. So that, that's very much the entrepreneur spirit that I would expect from him though. Like, I yeah. mean, you got to go out and do it in yeah. order to be good at it or, you know, to try to, and, and obviously I'm not the one that's, you know, pounding on the phones like you are. How else am I going to show that I want to be involved? Right. Kind of like you showing up at hot country nights, right. I'm popping my head in here. Yeah. Well, l- lucky for me, I don't have to pop my head in with Mike and Sean. I've, known Sean since I was this big. Your dad's a business partner with him. Exactly. You know, so I don't have to do that, but it's not like it's just going to be handed to you, you know? So how are you going to go about doing it? All right. I'm going to get myself involved. I was at the first HB film school between everybody. Just, there was an internal film school. Hey, what can we do to learn here? And it was just everybody together teaching people how to, how they run the camera. And then Trevor Hawkins comes around. Mm -hmm. That's really when things kind of flipped with Heartland Bowhunter, in my opinion, as far as the cinematography and uh, the editing and how everything was going to be um, portrayed on TV, right? Is, hey, you're filming this with a Canon GL2. Now you need to use a DSLR camera. Um, what's a rack focus, right? Like, like that was innovating times, um, you know, switching over from, from you know, tape to cards and mm-hmm. – um, yeah, I mean, I still remember sitting there at the first HB film school that was just internal with a bunch of guys um, at Jeff, Jeff Simpson's house, you know? <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, I mean, that was a long, long time ago. Yeah. And literally had, Harlan Boner had... Well, this three, is season... They had, they had three cameras? Literally, oh, three. For the whole yeah, team. They, my dad had a Canon GL2, Rex had a, uh, like a Sony PV1 or something, and then Jeff had something else, and I mean... And they just all shared the cameras. Oh, yeah. I mean, but all those guys have really, they you know, just like us, they've all been around from Ty was around. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just crazy. It's been 
Yeah, you think of years. all the money that we spend on stuff that we never even use anymore, like you, jibs oh, and yeah. sliders. Oh, I might sit in my garage. <laughs> you got to think, though, like Mike and Sean were still in college, right? And I was in college for sure when all this started happening. Yeah. So, like, I'm a college kid. <laughs> you know, there's only so much you're thinking about the future, but at the same point in time, like, all my buddies are filming, Yeah, you know? Why can't I? You know, it, I'm already out there doing it, you know? Do I want to do something with this? I don't know if it's going to go anywhere right now. But, I mean, I was filming, like I said, I was filming mule deer stalks. Mm-hmm. Just for the hell of it. Wow. But. Did there ever come a point in time for either of you, and, as I, and I'm kind of asking myself this question as I'm thinking it through, you know, those first couple of years were tough, you know, and while we were so proud and we were celebrating the fact that, I don't know if the term made it is correct, but <clears throat> the the goal has been accomplished. We have created a season of Heartland Waterfowl. It is officially going to air on the Outdoor Channel. It is going to air on the network. And <clears throat> but did there ever was there a, any moment that came after that? Whether it's your two, your three, your four, where you're like, I feel like we made it. Like now, I feel like people are recognizing what we're doing. Because I didn't feel like that after the first year. As much as I wanted to, I wanted to feel like a celebrity and feel like that people are recognizing us and what we're doing and people love what we're doing and it stands out from aside from what anybody else in the, in the waterfowl space is doing. I didn't feel like we had made it yet. And I don't even know that I, I mean, humbly speaking, feel like I've made it now, but I do remember there being a couple moments in this process where I feel like, okay, that's got, that, that is going to go viral or that is something that is going to, you know, going to get recognition or yeah. it's going to, you, is there any, anything that came along the way where it was like, okay, now we've taken the next step. I don't know if there's anything that we would sit here and say, oh, I made it right. I right. Think for me, it was like, how the hell are we going to do this again next year? <laughs> yeah. You know, at the beginning for sure. Um, the Golden Moose Award, the first Golden Moose Award for that's sure. What, yeah, that's what I was going to say. The two I things would, on the I wall. I would right say there. that's one that sticks out. Um, we went to thirteen episodes. That was huge. Um, went to uh, Q three instead of Q one. Yep. Um, when we finally started airing fifty two weeks, I mean, it kind of just stair double uh, stair steps, you know. But there's a lot of different milestones, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, not any that really particularly stand out, but at the same point in time, I'm sitting there like. I don't think I've changed who we are. I don't think any of us have, or, you know, like we're just sitting here trying to, you know, portray an everyday hunt to everybody else that's out there, you know, and that's something that I think we overlook, you know? Yeah. It may be a little bit different for me too. I spend so much time behind the camera, right? And you guys, I mean, you guys are the face of the show. So if the three of us walked into shot show, there's nobody in there that's going to know who I am. Right. So there's, so that's like the made it feeling is like when somebody recognizes you. Right. So, so my experience is probably a little bit different. I agree. The gold, the golden moose awards, that was honestly a a pride moment for me when it was like, we are going to have the best intro in the world. (laughs) And we, and we had like, we were right like two, three, four years in a row. Yeah. We had unbelievable intros to our show. As a matter of fact, that was kind of like a staple to Heartland Waterfowl. People knew, and, and to a certain degree, HB was like this too, but I feel like, I might get myself in trouble saying this, but I feel like that we even maybe had a little bit more of an emphasis or made it a little bit more of a priority it that we wanted it to be like when people turned in, they knew that the intro to that show yeah. was going to be something that was going to blow them away. What are they going to do this year? Well, yeah, what it was. was. Your, what was your favorite? 
Oh, man. You know, I mean, this is selfish, but I'm, I'm going to say the painter just because it was my idea and it won the award. I like the dog's I, eye. I, but the dog's eye was, was like, I'm best, still pissed right? off. Yeah. I'm still pissed off that that wasn't even nominated. That was, was it even nominated? No. no. Yeah. That was it's, the thing that really. So crazy. It may not have, I don't know whether it deserved to win or not, but I mean, the fact that that, the dog's eye, but yeah. I, that, I remember that being my idea too, was like, hey, let's tell this story. We want to like figure out a way to embed this video and then turn down the opacity of it to where it looks like it's a reflection in the dog's eye. And so we're seeing what the dog is seeing, which I think to this day, if you ask the hardcore Heartland waterfowl viewer fan, you know, super goob, they're going to tell you that the dog's eye is their favorite intro. I I think people say the painting. Really? It was the same concept. It was just applied to a different way, you know, a different uh, storyline. So I think those are top two, right? Oh, absolutely. Right. Hundred percent. Um, you what? Which one? The one with stop motion. Oh yeah, stop Which motion. One? Stop that motion was cool. What was the stop motion one? Yeah, where the the products were hanging in the air. Oh yeah, I remember filming that on the day that K State so, was playing in the Elite Eight, <laughs> and they got their ass kicked where, by where, Butler. Where do you come he's, up with? He's that? an elephant, dude. He doesn't forget anything. <laughs> Drew um, came out there and filmed that for us. Yeah. So so my only deal with the stop motion. It, it was a cool intro, like no, not taking away from it at all. It felt. Didn't we take that from a Red Akins video? Yeah, or no, it's, Thomas Red. I mean, that's yeah, his dad. Red Akins is his dad. Thomas Red. It that felt we more. Ripped that one off, didn't we? <laughs> so what? So we kind of ripped that one off. Uh, we? we repurposed it. Yeah, I mean, we applied uh, the, the idea. That yeah. one felt more technology based to me. The dog's eye and the artist painting had, to me, had way more emotion with it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where a big part of where that was. So. But out, outside of that, the intro is being so cool. The only other thing that I could ever pinpoint with like my made it moment, I was literally standing in line to vote in Raymore. And somebody's like, Hey, aren't you on the water? Aren't you on Heartland waterfowl? Really? The one time that I've been publicly and it was, and it was a woman. And I'm like, yeah. Huh? And it was because her husband watched the show. This is so funny. You're saying this, this box right here. And I swear to you when I say this was not set up by design because of this podcast, but I will tell you this. You guys might remember seeing on Facebook that my dad and I, along with my father-in-law and some other relatives, went down to Arkansas on a fishing trip a few weeks ago. Yep. And while we're down there, um, the first night I go, I'm like, I just go down to the docks and I'm just kind of having a beer, having a drink, just docking. There's people down there trying to catch trout off the dock. And a guy recognized me. He's from Louisiana. And, um, so we start talking about waterfowl hunting and their way of the way they hunt and what they watch us and do. And, and we end up throwing, throwing cornhole and staying out way too late and having way too many drinks. Well, this guy is a super fan and the guy served in the military and like, he's sending me his hat. This guy from Louisiana sends me the hat that he wore over in the, um, in the middle East and just sent me all of this, like just crazy, like stuff from when he was in the Marines. Um, but it was he, and I'm not saying this was my I made it moment or anything, and, and, and I even don't feel comfortable calling it I made it. I look at me, I've made it. That's not what I'm intending when I say that. But it was just, when, though you, when you run in those experiences like that, when yes. somebody that you did, yeah. like I'm in Arkansas, don't live near, I'm 
five hours away or whatever, and they drove up from Louisiana where, you know, just by coincidence, and they happened. That was a really cool moment. And yeah. I'll tell you another really cool moment that I love every single year is when we have the, heart, when we have the Heartland premiere. Yeah. Because it's a reminder, again, of why we do this. And when people come in and they just buy the droves and you feel that affirmation yeah. that, that these people want to be there because they genuinely love the brand, they love the content that you create, it kind of like makes you feel like, okay, this is why I'm doing this. Yep, I agree. How, how do you feel about that, Logan? <laughs> uh, you're yeah. exactly right. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing really else to say. The golden it. moose though, like if I don't, again, I don't want to call it a, a, I, I made it moment, but it was, it wasn't sure. It was shortly after that where like when you started calling. So for me, because I do the business side and the sales side, you know, and you're calling up these businesses and you're telling them who you are, you know, they you might get lucky one one out of five calls because you'll say, yeah, we're a product of Heartland Bowhunter. Bowhunter. Yeah, well, I know who Heartland Bowhunter is, so I'll listen to your call. But it, they still will. Um, did you break something? Your knife. Your knife fell out of your pocket? Does that went, went bang? It's no longer a pocket knife. Oh, there it is. Now it's a floor knife. So when it, when it got to the point now where then I'm calling these different companies to fill different categories, and it's Ronnie Phillips from Heartland Waterfowl on the phone, they answer the phone and like, hey, Ronnie, how's it going? Thanks for calling. Now, they may not be a sponsor. They may not have a budget for it, whatever it is. But it's not me now having to completely explain who Heartland Waterfowl is, how it came to be, we're a product of Heartland, and, and give the whole biography. You know, now it's, well, we know who you are, right. you know. And that's when I, that was the time. And that was about season three when I was like, okay, we're starting to, you know, recognize who you are and you don't have to give me the whole song and dance pitch when you don't have to say, Hey, here's my pilot episode. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You don't know one of the other ones. Uh, I think it was the last year that we stayed at the farmhouse in Canada and there was a random guy at a gas station that knew who we were. Oh yeah. I remember that. That was like season three. Uh, Cody, before we even knew Cody, Cody's dad sat there and watched us one year shoot. Oh, we pounded the snows that morning in that pea field right off the highway. Um, but they watched us shoot our limit of snows that morning and we didn't even know who they were. And the next year he's like, Oh, that was you guys right off the road. Byswinger. Yeah. Cody buys. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Mike sat there and watched us shoot our limit. Um, remember that pea field that we yes. right off the highway? Yes. Uh, I don't know. It was like, the was that the, years. was that the pilot series or no, pilot no, trip? No, no, no. This was. Two, two or three years afterwards. Okay, probably. so it's a different pea field. Um, mm, I don't remember that one then. Anyway, it was right behind the guy's house. I gave the, his wife the bottle of wine, and she brought us oh, out all those like peanut clusters. Yes, and yes, everything. yes. You yeah. guys spent like an hour in there talking to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, he we didn't even know him at that time, but he's like, I knew who you guys were. Wow, you know, <laughs> watching watching these guys hunt, we knew you know, and we get, I mean, messages nonstop. You know, oh, yeah. of, hey, I just saw your trailer. And it's like, all we have is a big gray trailer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unlike every other TV show that puts a big wrap on their truck and a big wrap on their trailer. You know, but, we try to be a little bit yeah. discreet. Yeah. No, but I mean, yeah. I mean, people definitely. Well, the one time we went into the, uh, we were on our way to New York. We go into the gas station. It's like three o'clock in the morning. And like, I don't know, two or three out of the five or six of us have beaver tail shirts on. The, oh, yeah. The, the, the <laughs> We're in a rock band. Yeah, the gas station attendant was like, hey, man, are you guys in some sort of a rock band or something? <laughs> like, yeah, beaver tail. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
We're starting a rock band called Beaver Tail. Oh, man. That is kind of fun to go down memory lane and revisit some of those stuff. Do you guys have any other, like, memories that kind of stand out in the first those first, say, you know, first five years? I remember going to – I'll bring up this one because it, I wanted to talk about it earlier. Um, we talked about, you know, coming up with the funds to do some of these trips. So we talked about Mound City. We talked about going to – Canada. One of the other trips we did was up to Nate Flynn's lodge in uh, Central Dakota Lodge, um, which would have been the first time any of us met Joe Palumbo, because <laughs> Joe was our guide for that. And that was another one of those where we left. It's a twelve-hour drive, roughly, and we drove all night to literally get there like four in the morning, four thirty in the morning dragging ass and like, okay, we're going to unpack. We're going to put our clothes on and we're going to go hunt this morning. And it was windy. It was cold. It might've been snowing. And Joe Palumbo was our guide. And then it was from that point that we established a relationship with Joe. And then he eventually became a member of Heartland Waterfowl. So what do you remember about that trip to, to North Dakota? Because there's some stories on oh, that trip. Yeah, there's a lot There's some of good them. stories on that trip. Yeah. We're smoking the mallards. We're smoking the mallards. what happened on the way to Yeah, I ran, that's what I'm saying. Like, so um, I were on, God, the weather was terrible. I was uh, following you guys, and we hit, you guys were turning, I think, the, the brake lights. Well, and they, the yeah, because they, they'd gone through a cornfield that ripped the wires out. Ripped the trailer light wires yep. out. And so I didn't know that you were slowing down and, and turning. And so as I'm getting ready to slow down, I can't. I can't slow down. And I have an option of either running into the back of the decoy trailer or I can turn really hard and go into a really big ditch and probably flip my truck. And, and there's I was, a chain link fence and a great and a and cemetery, a cemetery right there. You got to shoot the gauntlet. And I was able to somehow keep it on the road and sideswipe the back corner of the trailer, knock off my mirror, completely destroy my quarter panel and go through the intersection and end up in a field and just feeling like I just about died. I just like, it was like really like it, it that could, could have been it, it could really, have been really bad. Really, really bad. I remember as soon as we came to a stop, I look in the back because Caleb was in the back seat. Yep. And he was holding all the camera gear and everything. And it was all kind of like nice and nested. And by the time we came to a stop, like everything was just on top of him. Yeah. It, I mean, it had all. I got out of the launched. truck and I was shaking because, you know, adrenaline is running through my body. And I remember Joe running <laughs> up to me and I'm bent over. Like I'm, I'm shaking. I'm trying to catch my breath and my hands are on my knees. I'm bent over. And he puts his hand on my back and, and shoulder and he says, Oh my God, are you okay? Yeah, I think so. He was like, okay, good, let's go. <laughs> and I'm like, you insensitive prick. Like, I just about died and you're caring more about these ducks. And so anyway, we, we load back up and I'm still, you know, shook up about it. But we hammered, smashed that, yeah. the mallards That's what that I say. day. In his defense, he knew we were pushing the clock because by the time we were done setting up, the birds were born. They were coming in. Yeah. And in that line, we're, we're, was it was it smashing the mallards? We're smashing the mallards. We're that, smoking the mallards. Something, something like, like that. that. And I think that that line actually came from that hunt. And it was um, in the trailer yep. for that next season. That yep. Was that the first That would have yep. been the first season then. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been the first season that we... Because uh, I remember leaving Q104... And my little send off was on a hot country Thursday night to where then I say, Hey, thanks for 10 years at Q104. And to announce what I was doing, we played that trailer mm. on the big screen in front of everybody at the concert. And I remember hearing, I think it was Caleb saying, We're smashing the mallards. Yeah, yeah it yep. was Joe. 
Oh, was it Joe yeah. saying that? Yeah. Okay. I, I also remember Joe that hunt sitting there saying to shoot the hen. Like we'd have hens coming, <laughs> shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. We're trying to shoot a limit. Yeah. And we shot a limit without having to do so, but right. just poking fun at Joe. Yeah. So we we hammered him. Typical guide dog. Yeah, he's trying to get in and out as fast <laughs> as he possibly can. I remember. So that was a great hunt. I I remember it not being as great for me as it was for everybody else because I basically just destroyed my truck. I mean, luckily I could still drive it home, but I mean, I felt like I just met death and got away and escaped it. Um, but the next hunt, and this is another Joe story, Joe's out guiding and we're trying to figure out we're going to hunt and there's the snow has come in and we're deciding, are we going to hunt the field? Are we going to hunt the water? And we end up setting up on this water hole. That's really not that far. If I remember correctly from where we were hunting that day, uh, the day before and crumb it's crumbs day to film on that particular day. And whenever Crum had to film, he was in a pissy mood. Let's just say what it is. I love Crum. I wish him all the best. He's not with us anymore, but let's, you know, the fact is, is that Crum was not in a good mood that day. He had to film and he had to sit in water to do it wearing the ghillie suit. And he was a little bit irritable. And for whatever reason, Joe didn't have his calls with him. And yeah, do you remember this, this now? Oh yeah. And so Joe it's like, I think this should be a t-shirt. We're, <laughs> You think so? Uh, well, at least, should, I mean, at least for Joe. Like, Joe, we should get this and make it just for Joe. So, Joe is... And the, Joe Cap, already has a t-shirt. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Joe. I'm gonna, I, I need to get one of those so I can customize it for him. Keep in mind, this customized, is 10... <laughs> this is 10, 11 years ago, whatever it was, <clears throat> before we even had a show, but... Joe wasn't as organ, you know, Joe's got, he's an outfitter now. He's got his own operation. He's a, you got a well-oiled machine. He wasn't maybe, he was a great hunter, but maybe wasn't as savvy as he is today. He, he, he forgot not- his calls. He's a guide and he forgot his calls that day. So he's like, who's got some calls? And so Crum <laughs> gives him his calls, which Crum always liked to show off his bands. And he always had a, you know, whether or not he shot the bands or not, I don't know, but he had a lanyard full of bands and he puts the, he puts the land, Joe puts the lanyard on and he goes, Oh my God, I can just feel the, the douche oozing out of this lanyard. <laughs> I never, buddy, just starts laughing because we knew that Crumb was pissed off about having to film that day, and it was kind of our way yeah. of kind of like poking the bear. And and Joe had no filter. He was going to poke oh, the bear. Oh, Joe still doesn't have yeah, a filter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When do we not get it under each other's skin? Oh, it's almost like a prerequisite that if yeah. you're going to be on this team, you're going to strive to get under somebody's skin at some yeah. point. Ronnie's yep. going to have his 10 or 15 minutes every morning. He not goes. every morning. Every Don't give me that morning. shit. Yep. It's oh, always when you film. Always. Everybody. Everybody. You, I, I never do. film. What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> <laughs> so you do. You So your your go-to is, I get, this just isn't working. I can't get this to do what I want it to do. Like, you get really anxious. Everybody in the room yeah. is nodding yes, yes. right now. No, you, no that's, it's you? true. Now, maybe part of that is because you're 6'5", cr- cramming into a blind that Thank me and you. Caleb usually set Thank up. you. Thank you very much. <laughs> But I'm also my own worst critic. And if I'm like, like, how many times have I like said, oh, I don't know if I like that. And you guys look at it and be like, oh, it looks great. So, yeah, I just you, want you, it to be good. Yeah. The good old days. You're, you're hard on yourself when you're filming. Because Logan never has a temper tantrum. <laughs> never. never. I've come a long ways. I, 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 long I will ways. give Logan credit where credit is due. Logan, in the early years, Logan did earn... So it went from Logan to Logie Bear, and Logie Bear became Grumpy Bear. <laughs> okay, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, yeah. And it was deserved, and that, and that was polite. 
For I feel like in the first year, the first year of Heartland Waterfowl, I was kind of the the guy on the edge with an attitude and kind of grumpy. And then I may have figured out like, hey, you know what? I need to shit sugar a little bit more to get along with my team. And then Logan and I switched roles. And it was yeah. the second year where Logan may have been a little bit the one on edge and yeah. barking around to some peeps here and there. and Figure your shit out. Yeah, yeah. And, well, then, and then I don't know, year, year four, we all, I feel like it kind of, kind of meshed and we kind of hit a stride and the honey the honeymoon phase was over and we all figured out like maybe, this is now what we want to do maybe that's when we found out we made it when we don't have to be pissed off all the time right that's that, a really that good point be, you know what that's that's, really that point. is a really good point i mean it just over the years it slowly gets easier because you know the content you have to get you know what to expect you know going into it that you're not going to have a good hunt every day, regardless if you put yourself in the, posi- the position to have a good hunt every day. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's mother nature's not going to co- cooperate. The birds are not going to, there's things out of your control that you cannot yep. control on a daily basis. And it's one of those things that you just got to learn. Hey, it sucks, but we might have to be here for another day so that we can finish this episode. Out. Well, the other part of it too, at the beginning, there was so much pressure, you know, to deliver for sponsors and to make sure that we were, we're you know, coming out with a bang and we're going to make this the best thing since sliced bread. And when we got to the point after, I don't know, maybe it was three or four years, we realized like, Hey, you know what? People are actually, because they would, they would message it message us. They would send us messages and tell us, I like the fact that it's not all about the killing. I like the fact that you guys show the struggle. I like the fact that you guys show the scouting and it it's was like, relatable. It's relatable. Yes. And that's when I was like, I kind of, the, the pressure as a part owner of the, this thing and feeling like I have a responsibility to deliver some kick-ass content so that I can keep getting sponsors like, Hey, you know what? Maybe I don't, maybe I'm putting too much pressure on myself because these people are liking the fact that the storyline that we're telling is something they can identify with. Yeah. Nobody goes out there and shoots a limit every single day or has a great hunt, you know, I mean, look at all the, the guides and outfitters that have popped up in the last three, four years, mm-hmm. you know, like they'll sit there and be the first ones to tell you, like, there's, there's only so much that you can do, right? Mm-hmm. If you put forth the effort, right. And do everything that you think that you possibly could before the hunt. And then when it comes to the hunt you hide yourself where the birds want to be and it doesn't work out and there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. You did everything you can do. Right. I will say you were talking about putting out the effort before the hunt. Biggest realization for our group, for me, as far as the hunting effort, is we put we put out an astronomical amount of effort relative to most people who waterfowl hunt. You got to hide yourself. It's number one. I'm not. I'm not even talking about morning of. I'm talking about scouting. Oh well, yeah. I mean, that's the that's the dirty work, right? That's the that's how you lay the foundation of where you're going for the week and get a plan put together, and then that morning of, it's. Hide yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pick where you want to hide yourself the best in the field that you think the birds are going to want to use and make sure that they cannot see you. Because it's really yeah. the two biggest things. If, it you, is, yeah. if you don't shoot anything and the birds are wanting to be in that field, then that's on you. Yep. You know, that's your fault. And unfortunately, we have four to five cameras we also got to hide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole other conversation. That's trying to yeah. figure out how to hide that camera. We can get into that also. Um, so... Let's get into that then, because I com- completely lost my train of thought. I remember there was a particular time out in Kansas where you got to pee. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, DT, sit in. DT's going to sit in. Actually, DT, why don't we do this? Before we talk about 
the the um by the way, ladies and gentlemen, Dakota Thurn. Dakota Thurn to the Paparon Podcast. Again. Again? He's a he's a seat filler filler here, like uh, the Academy Awards when somebody's got to leave to go to the bathroom, uh, Dakota's filling in. All right, so as somebody who's been a super fan of Heartland Waterfowl and now a part of the team and a very integral part of the field production and the post-production of our original YouTube series, and you've been sitting here listening to the last hour and 45 minutes of this conversation, what questions do you have for us? Is there um, anything that you've been sitting there saying, I wonder about this? How come you guys picked me to come along and be a part of this? I, I never could figure that part out. We needed somebody gullible enough to fall for it? Yeah. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's been kind of crazy just to see, uh, you know, like it's crazy even being here now it, with us being, you know, the, what is it, 10 season going into the 10th season? Filming the 10th season. We'll film our 10th Fil- season. Filming our year. official 10th season this year. Yeah. For me, it's been crazy to see because I was, uh, before HW Superfan, I was an HB Superfan. And whenever uh, they started to, you know, of course, we just talked about the behind. That's why whenever you guys were talking about, hey, I want to know, uh, what do you, you want to hear on this podcast? And I, I wanted to hear the conception. Because uh, that was the part that I was not involved in, you know, and uh, I knew about the fact that HB, you know, I was a big fan of them. And then whenever HW started, I didn't get to see all of like the conversations that you guys were just having. I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is something uh, I, I was a super fan of this. I love waterfowl hunting. I'm a super fan of this. And it was I had I, whenever Matt was. Uh, talking about how he was just kind of like trying to put himself in the right positions, like in the right crosshairs of being able to like somewhat get involved. You could relate to that, to huh? It. Yeah. I related to it. It was like same game plan. Like I had the same thing. I'm like, I just want to get somewhere in the crosshairs. But it's been so crazy for me to see of like just being, uh, dude, it's weird for me because seeing HB and HW, it's kind of been the like paradigm shift in my life of like, hey, this is like, it inspired me to do what I do now. Right. I mean, of course, with the involvement that I have now with the show, but uh, it's just been crazy to see over time, like how Heartland Waterfowl has evolved, and yeah, it's just been crazy. I just how uh, how has it been for you guys to like accept like all the changes through? I mean, dude, this isn't a short thing. This is ten years. Yeah, you know it. It goes by so fast that you kind of forget that's what's fun about this conversation tonight. Cause you go back and reflect on, wow, you know what? That was really tough times. That was really difficult. I really had to like put in a lot of work. There was a lot of sweat equity, if you will, to get where you're at. So you, once you've kind of gotten to the place where you're at, I've kind of forgotten what I had to go through to get there, which I'm glad we're having this conversation because it gives me more gratitude um, towards what we've been able to accomplish. Mm-hmm. But you talk about the changes. Um, are you talking about like necessarily like uh, the hardest changes to, to um, like, what are you asking? I guess. Well, I'm saying the show's been on air. How many shows go on air for 10 years straight? Like you have to adapt and change and you know, like you have to be able to go, okay, have the forethought to uh, how are we going to be different every year? How are we going to continue to innovate and continue to get better? Like, I would say the show has continued year to year to year to year, got better. Like, oh, yeah. How do you do that? How do you continue to push the level, push the... Well, you're a big part of it. You're trying to like get, so get a self-plug out of this deal? you're asking. <laughs> right. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. 
no, seriously, you and Q coming on board was a huge, because here's the thing, like the, the concept prior to you guys coming on board was, is that even though Logan and I are owners of the show and executive producers and, and somewhat the face of the show, we never really wanted to make it about Heartland Waterfowl featuring Ronnie Phillips and Logan Birded. It was always the team of guys, the team of brothers of Heartland Waterfowl and if you're going to film one day, I'm going to film the next day. And that was just kind of the prerequisite of being a part of this team. Right. So the, what, what I didn't anticipate was, you know, for years is that you you're, it's like turning the light on and off in the room, you know, like you're on, you're off, you're on, you're off. And you're like, you're one minute, you're going in this direction. Then you're going in this direction. It was constantly changing back and forth where, you know, if you were, I remember filming going to Oklahoma and filming an episode. And I said, you know what, on this trip, I don't even care to hunt. I'm just going to film the entire trip. You remember that? And, and I like that because not that I didn't want to hunt or I liked to hunt. Obviously I love to hunt just like the next person, but I was in my zone and I know you can relate to this because it's what you and Q are doing. You're like every day, you know, like, Hey, I got to charge camera. You know, I got to dump footage. I got to do this. And then tomorrow I need to get this shot because I going through the footage and I didn't get this shot uh, yesterday morning. So I'm going to try to get that shot today. And so you are like tunnel vision in your zone for what you have to get as a field producer. But when you're flipping back and forth, you kind of lose the focus and mm-hmm. then you have to get back focused and back and forth. And, you know, the idea was a good concept at first because it got everybody involved to feel like they were a part of a team. But what helped us make it to the next level was is that we got two guys who were seriously passionate about filming. They were passionate about being a part of the team. And they were in like that. This is what got their rocks off was being behind the camera and producing the best content that we could possibly get. And so there was a tremendous growth, I felt like, from season eight to season nine because you guys kind of took the reins with the majority of the field. And you couldn't go on every trip, but you went on damn near every single one of them. Mm. And you guys taking the lead on that, I think was what I feel like as we promote. And part of the reason why we're doing this podcast is to promote the new season nine that's out on Sportsman Channel right now. I think that they're going to, anybody who's been a fan of Heartland Waterfowl for the last eight seasons, they're going to see a tremendous growth and in production value with season nine. And it's not only with the field production. I also got to give props to Chandler because oh, that man. guy is a wizard crushes. it. Yeah. He's a wizard with the Heartland bow hunter um, productions. The guy is the guy who ultimately does the post-production for our show, Chandler shoemaker. And best he, in the biz. Talk, talk about so, growth out of that kid in the last few years. Oh too. my gosh. We are so fortunate to have him, yeah. you know, on our detail basically. Um, and, and so the combination between what you guys do in the field uh, and what he does in post-production from the TV side. Um, but you talk about the evolution, you know, and here we are in season nine during the production of this. And we're like, how can we fight this linear versus digital argument? Meaning TV is considered linear. YouTube, as an example, is considered digital. And, you know, we're trying to appease sponsors who are trying to figure out where their marketing dollars are going to go. Well, we're going to allocate 30% of our budget to, you know, the linear space and we're going to do 70 or another 30% to the, you know, digital space and blah, blah, blah. Well, how can we be everywhere? And by launching the Heartland Waterfowl new original YouTube series, um, that gave, I mean, I think that gave people an opportunity to create the content immediately Mm -hmm. as it was happening because it was almost filmed and produced in real time. Mm-hmm. So I know this is kind of another plug yeah. here. Nobody's 
Nobody's yeah. doing it. Yeah. yeah. Logan's, you know, off camera right now and off mic, but he's taking a little break from all the talking that he just did in the last <laughs> hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> I'm just giving you our time. Hold on. I got one more question. I yeah. want him to come. But, but seriously, like the YouTube thing was a huge thing because nobody in the industry was doing it. And Logan and I sat down and we're like, the only way we can pull this off is if Dakota and Q are doing it. And you guys, you know, you know, naturally there was some negotiating that took place, but we were able to find, you know, a deal that worked out for all of us. There, I fit it in. Let's put a deal together that makes sense for all of us. My favorite line of all time. Anyway, we were able to figure it out. And look, like you don't have to wait a week to figure out how Heartland Waterfowl performed in North Dakota. You don't have to wait a week to see that content, to see what the migration was doing at that time. We're on all of our social platforms. We're posting all kinds of content that says, this is where we're at. This is where we're hunting today. The video drops tonight. And you could be out there hunting with your buddies the next morning and say like, hey, the Heartland Waterfowl guys are out in, up in North Dakota. I wonder yeah. how they did yesterday. Pull it up on your phone right then and there, and you can see how yeah. we performed. Yep. That's huge. Yeah. Yep. I didn't mean to do that. Uh, that might have sounded intentional, but I did not. Uh, <laughs> but I do have one question before I hop back off. Um, so I've always thought this, uh, whenever me and Trent had our like little team that we had, always felt this infinity pressure. outdoors by the way right another plug hey i'm doing good at this yes you are uh, <laughs> it's not your first rodeo <laughs> yeah look at this uh but i i always had this um pressure of you know we have this thing but i had this thing on my shoulder uh, because we had multiple guys that were involved and they were banking on us i want to know is there in, did you guys have any um like moments throughout this last 10 years where you're like hey we have these guys that uh, we've built a team with, a relationship, a family with, and, you know, this is something that we do, and they rely on the fact that we do this. Did you guys ever feel the pressure of that, of having, hey, um, you know, this is, you know, kind of on the backs of continue to doing this uh, for these guys? Did you ever feel any pressure for that? I will say from being on the receiving end of what I think your question is, I don't know if you guys have ever felt pressure but you guys have always gone out of your way to try to take care of the guys that are working for the show. Sure. Yeah. Pressure might be a strong word, but it was a priority. You know, right. there was, there was a sense of priority. And, and I remember Logan and I sometimes like, you know, saying, Hey, how can we make this better? Maybe at the time that we were having the conversation, didn't necessarily agree on the, the, the tactic or the approach of which we were going to do it, but then we'd always figure it out. Um, but it was like, there's no heartland waterfowl if it's just Logan and I we've got to figure out a way to keep these guys happy. And, you know, look, let's just be honest about something. Nobody is getting rich doing outdoor television. <laughs> if you're listening to this saying, Oh, these guys have got to make these guys just get to all they good. They, they hunt for a living. No, we don't. We all have full-time jobs. This is, I, it is a priority and it is a full-time job kind of in and of itself. It's seasonal though. And it's not paying us the, it's not paying us what we aspire to make. So from that standpoint, like um, we didn't have the, the, the luxury of paying every member on our team a full-time wage. Would love to. It's just, it's not, it's not possible. There, there's uh, also varying degrees of input from each one of us as individuals. Mm -hmm. So some guys do eight, nine trips. And there were some of us, there was a couple of years that I only did three trips. Right. Well, we, and we made it a kind of a prerequisite that to be a part of this, you have to go on two trips and help with the home episodes. Right. So um, to answer Dakota's question, I never felt the pressure. I just always felt like 
this is a point of emphasis. This is a priority that we need as the money continues to, you know, slowly, gradually come in. We needed to figure out ways to give back, whether it's through some sort of incentives to do the MVP award or, hey, maybe we just hand out a check for, you know, whatever it is at the end of the year just to show us. But it was always trying to do a little bit extra when we're on the trips like, hey, you don't really have to spend anything out of pocket because we're going to pick up the tab on everything. You're going to be a part of something really special, something you're going to be proud of, something that you're going to be able to share your kids somewhere down the road, your family. And it's going to be uh, an experience that you otherwise would never get to enjoy or experience had you not been a part of this. Yep. You want to elaborate any more on that? I was going to say it takes a special person, right? Not everyone's going to be. That is true. Right. And that's part of the reason that there's some of the guys that aren't with us anymore because it's not a fit. You're away from your family all the time. Uh, You're not really getting compensated to go and do it at all. You know, it takes away from your vacation time that you might be able to use elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, You could, you could go to Florida. With your vacation time. Yeah, I mean, you could do whatever you wanted. You could I think it was Myrtle Beach. Was it Myrtle Beach? I'm I sorry. I think it was okay. South Carolina. Yeah. yeah exactly. We're making a joke about a guy on the team who's no longer with us, and we love that guy, but there was, you know, one of those moments where, and it happens, and it will happen continually throughout the rest of the, you know, that we do this. Where there's going to be times where us guys are going to bump heads with one another. Yeah. Anyway, that, that was a conversation that took place once. At the end of the day, like, I mean, any waterfowl hunter, I think, can relate to not having somebody that they originally started hunting with right from a falling out of, Hey, you stole my hunting spot or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. Right. Like that. You always, screwed me that out always, of that band. That always happens. But yeah. like, I mean, it's hunting, right? Like for instance, we go, go back to, Hey, uh, when we were out in Kansas and there was two guys in the field, they had the permission, you know, mm-hmm. they could have said, Hey, Nope. Sorry. See you guys later. You know, get out of here, you right. know, or vice versa. We could have said that to them, but it's like, no, come on in. You got mm-hmm. two guys. Come on, you know, hunt with us. Yep. You know, and oh, there's people that get the, the bad waterfowl rap now. And, you know, when a farmer gets mad, he, you know, says no the rest of his life, it seems like. And mm-hmm. no, doesn't mean now. It just means <laughs> yeah, no, doesn't mean never. It just means not right now. The fortune is in the follow-up, friends. Unfortunately, we're only here for a week. How about now? <laughs> so we were getting ready to talk about hiding the cameras. We, we can touch on that just briefly um, because there is another uh, another area that I kind of want to transition to as it d- involves like personal development, business development. Um, hiding the cameras, that was like a huge thing for us. Granted, at the time, we were trying to hide these big freaking shoulder mount type cameras that were like the AX2000 and some of the others that Logan mentioned earlier, then we kind of transitioned to the DSLR side, which were then smaller profile cameras made it a little bit easier to, to hide them. But we tried everything. I remember being in Kansas and I don't know if it was you, Matt or Caleb, but we, I think it was you actually. And you were actually filming out of the foot bag of the layup line. Was that you? No, that was Caleb. It must have been Caleb. Okay. Yeah. But you he, remember he us fits doing a, that? He fits a little easier to small places than I do. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, but we tried everything. I feel like now, though, I mean, and of course, back then, too, we weren't hunting in A-frames. Do you remember you know? the, the ghillie monster that we used to have that we'd strap we around the tripod? We still got that ghillie monster. Yeah. Yeah. And, hey, you still have to use it time to time, you know? You yeah. never know the situation you're going to be. A-frames have, you know, came a long ways, and I think that... We prefer to hunt out of them yeah, now just sure. because it's we're, more comfortable for one. And two, it's a lot easier for the guys who are filming. Yep. Yeah. I mean, the footage is better, all the, but sometimes you just can't get away with it, you know? Um, but I also think that we, 
like gravitate towards spots that we can get away with. Oh, we're if, for sure if, biased if, at this if we, point. If we have options, it's like, all right, yep, we're going there. Yeah. The yeah. That one's got, that one's got a good fence line with grass on it. We can put a frames exactly, against that. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's crazy that something like that, like innovates the industry, you know, and know. it'll come full circle again. And, you know, you'll be hunting back out in the middle of a cornfield with a layout blind and, you know, doing, and some, I mean, some of that could be too, Behavior of the animals. Well, I mean... They, look, they adapt to different hunting styles. We have to hunt differently than a lot of other people do. Like, if it was just me and you going out hunting one Saturday morning, and, you know, we don't have anywhere else to hide but the middle of a cornfield on a terrace. Like, me and you are taking layout blinds. We're hunting in the middle of a cornfield on right. a terrace. But that's not that's, six guys that, plus cameras. Yeah, plus, that's yeah. not something that late seasons we can get away with. Right. Whereas, you know, two guys might be able to do that. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, just how much has waterfowl hunting evolved? I mean, how many outfitters have you seen come about in the last 10 years? In the last five years, even. I mean, oh, yeah. it, it, things have changed. And the the things that I, I laugh about, like going back to Canada, is like this year would be a great year to go to Canada because fuel prices are insane, right? Yeah. Nobody's, Nobody's going to be there. The yeah. pressure yeah. is yeah. going to be like, That's the year nothing. to go, right? When the fuel prices are high, that's the year you want to go. But fuel prices are low, you're trying to fight people and you're trying yeah. to get away from the crowd and like and that's great like mm-hmm. more the merrier but you know we also have a job to do <laughs> what i find interesting as we talk about hiding the cameras is that i feel like that now you know it's been so hard in the beginning to try to figure out how do we hide this thing to where we're not giving ourselves away we always talked about like oh we're going to be filming in the sun we're going to be sending sos signals to the birds because they're going to the sun's going to reflect off the lens and they're going to see which which does happen sometimes but then it challenged us as the person behind the camera to you know it changed our tactics okay well don't point the camera in the sun, you know, like, right. you know, where the birds are going to finish quarter the shot this way, let the birds come into the frame and then get on them, zoom in, zoom out, whatever it is that you have to do, but you don't have to be moving this camera back and forth nonstop. When the birds are freaking 400, 500 yards out there, let them get to you, get them in the, the spot. And that you, then you're not, you're yep. p- putting yourself in a position. So we've yeah. killed a lot of birds filming in the sun. Now, yep. if you're just smart and you're tactical in your, yeah, or, you know, instead of having them laying right in your face, you're, you know, shooting a crossing shot or a 45 or whatever the case may be. There's definitely no cookie cutter. Yeah. No, every, every situation is different. And, and that's part of the fun though. Right. Like I feel like anybody can go out and have a good hunt or, you know, shoot a handful of birds with their buddies or whatever. But like to the point, it's like, I want to, I want to get them as close as I can. I want to get them on film. I want to show everybody what we just did. Right. Right. The, uh, where I was getting ready to go with this is that in the struggle that we had for those first few years, trying to figure out how to hide these cameras today, we've got more cameras set up than we ever have before. We've got them in multiple angles. I mean, yep. we've got two different cameras running in the blind, going out of the blind on the birds. We've got multiple cameras inside the blind to capture the camaraderie inside the blind. We've got what we call oh shit cameras set up behind us just in case something goes wrong with the camera. I mean, we were overthinking so much what was going on. Well, not, I shouldn't say overthinking because there was some validity to that, to that issue, but We've got it figured out now to where we feel so comfortable with this that I find it ironic that now we are running. We've got more cameras well, set up and that are exposed than we ever have before. And a huge part of that is technology, too. 
Sure. Think about when you're running some of these smaller cameras that yeah. are independently run, how much better the video quality is than it was 10 years ago. Yeah, but here's the other thing that we don't, we didn't take into consideration that we do now as an example. Like, what's your backdrop? You know, if you got just a, a camera sitting up on a tripod and oh, you don't have sure. any like weeds zip tied to it or any kind of brush or you don't have any kind of backdrop, like if I have a big old tumbleweed that's behind the camera, you know, then it doesn't stick out as bad. It looks more natural, you know, right. like what backdrop I think is something that we think about a lot more than we ever did before in the beginning. And it's huge. It's a yeah. huge factor to our success. So anyway, it's, it's a big reason also why the, the new season nine is I'm really excited to show everybody because it does show a lot more angles than you've ever, ever, ever seen before in the first uh, eight seasons. All right. So we're over two hours into this. I want to get into what I told you I was going to do this. We're at two hours and seven minutes, Logan. Wow. I knew I could do this. I knew I could do it. I knew I could keep him here we're for gonna two have, hours. We're going to have to come back again and do like a part two. Yeah. Like a montage of fun hunts or something. Oh, I just go in Joe Rogan style on you see if I can get this It'd be three hours anyway. So, um, one of the things that I, and, and we'll talk about this and then we can kind of wrap it up or talk about the new season. Um, one of the things that I appreciated the most about this venture when I left radio to do this was, and I didn't really understand it until I kind of got a couple years into it or at least a year into it was the saying that you are a product of your environment and being that I took that leap of faith to start this thing and getting involved with Logan and working with Mike Hunsucker and Sean and Rex and Brad and all these guys who are very driven professionally and entrepreneurial spirit. Um, a lot of my personal professional success has been a product of the, the brotherhood that I have with the guys on this team and all being kind of like-minded. And that's not to say that every guy that we've come across on this team, we're on the same page. And that was another thing I was going to say, like when I feel like we got real comfortable is when we really kind of honed in on the core guys who were really committed to be there, who had full respect of one another and each other. And once that kind of happened, all of the pieces really kind of fell into place, which then took things to the next level with me which was, you know, surrounding myself with guys who were good, genuine, heartfelt guys who were wanting to lift people up as opposed to tear people down and, and be there. Did you guys ever feel this? I know you did for sure, Matt. You had a sense of that feeling and in, in, in where you were back then and where you were today. Maybe elaborate on that a little bit. And, and then, Logan, I'd like to kind of get your thoughts on it as well after Matt. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> um, I, I won't say that I felt it at any certain time. It continues today. Um, Obviously, YouTube being kind of the the head of the show, we kind of look up to you guys as far as the show is concerned. But honestly, even Dakota being here, I mean, we've our entire team is surrounded by guys that have built themselves up professionally over the last ten years. So when we started Heartland Waterfowl, I was literally making like nine dollars an hour, working as a service rider for an auto shop. That was my job, right? And Ronnie, you and I had several conversations over the years. We're out on, you know, a three hour drive out to your folks place out there. And, and Ronnie'd hit me up and say, Hey man, you know, what, what, what are you doing? You know, you, you just, you know, where, where are you going? What's your plan? Where, you know, what are you doing? And, 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 and you know, I guess looking back in my mind, I, I knew I was going somewhere, but I didn't have a plan. So just being surrounded by you guys, Logan, starting multiple businesses and you're, how old are you now? 34. 30, 34, starting and mm-hmm. starting multiple businesses, selling one or two of them, right? 
Ronnie, I've seen you reinvent yourself a half a dozen times in the last 10 years. Because I keep failing. (laughs) (laughs) You just got to keep kicking the can, man. (laughs) I don't don't know that they keep failing, though. No, you're right. It's a constant evolution. It is. And you keep changing it. But that's a huge part of what I looked up to from you. Okay. Dakota, how many different ventures have you started in the last 10 years? Handful of them, right? Q, you just sit over there and be quiet. Look pretty. It's fine. No big deal. <laughs> no, Q's a big part no, of what he's absolutely doing. Absolutely. I'm not taking anything away from you. I'm just giving shit. But um, no. So yeah, absolutely. Surrounding yourself with people that so. So yeah, absolutely. I, I made a, a, a strategic move seven years ago to get a better job that was more flexible with time. And I knew it was going to give me enough uh, income at that point that I was going to be able to strategically make another move five or six years later. Mm-hmm. So that has now launched me into where you put I put a plan that you implemented I, a plan hundred percent. And, and I guess, honestly, even predating that go back to when I decided that I wanted to get into outdoor television, who inspired me to do that? hundred percent. It was Sean and Mike. Why is this a possibility? I have buddies that are doing it. Why can't I do it? Yeah. Right. So it was a hundred percent. I've surrounded myself with people who continue to inspire me through the years and like you said it, we, we lift each other up. Yeah. You know, one of us has a rough month, a rough week, a rough year, whatever. And we just get behind each other and, and keep pushing forward. Yeah. Did you feel any of that in this whole last nine years where you just kind of felt like there was this evolution of you as a person, as a, um, you know, just because you were involved in an environment? I mean, do you see where I'm going oh, with this? Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I literally think about that every day. It's like I have... Um, a, a multitude of business partners, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't want to let any of them down, you know? And when we started this, it's like, all right, I'm in this to win it, right? So I don't want to let you down on what my job duties are or with my uh, Chris, for instance, my other mm-hmm. business partner. It's like, all right, here's your job duty. Here's my job duty. I don't want to let you down. But like, as far as like, being around everybody, I mean, yes, you're a product of your environment. Just like you say over and over and over again, you talk about it nonstop. Um, surround yourself with the people that you want to be, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, and that really goes a long ways. And lucky for me is I have the work ethic instilled in my brain where I can't sit still and just like my father, you know. So mm-hmm. I sit there and it's like, all right, I have to be busy. I got to do something. Um, if I'm not doing something, I'm doing something i'm letting somebody down right now mm. um and that's where my mind goes yeah. it's like all right i gotta keep going because if i'm not going somebody else is going to catch me right someone else is going to do what i'm already doing um so how can i better myself um, i heard a football player nfl guy um four or five years ago say you got to get one percent better every day yep and that's nothing right it's one percent but if you're able to do that surround yourself with positive people mm-hmm. um, that have a strong business mind step has um, a direction of where they want to go and genuinely care about you. Exactly. The sky's the limit, right? Yeah. Right? You, you can do anything that you set your mind to as long as you put forth the effort. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's just like hunting, right? They say, you know, 10% of the hunters kill 90% of the birds or whatever the case may be. But like waterfowl hunting is not, this huge giant, you know, hard thing to do, right? The people that are very, very successful doing it, they do it every day, Mm -hmm. every single day. 
And it's just and when you say do it doesn't mean that they're actually hunting every day. They nope. may be scouting every day. Exactly. They may be watching the behaviors, they're, you know, but they're invested in yep. they're invested in it every single day. And that and that goes the with, process with every business, right? right? Everything that you're doing on a daily basis in life. If if you put forth the effort, there's going to be results. At yep. the end, I mean, I say it over and over. You got to hide yourself to kill the birds, right? If you don't hide yourself and put forth the effort into hiding yourself, the worst part that everybody hates doing. Yeah. There's not one person that likes doing it, but it's the most important thing. Yep. And I mean, it, it's a full revolving circle. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. No, I just, I, it's always been, excuse me. It's always been important to me to, I always like sharing that story with people because I know where I was before I came a part of Heartland Waterfowl and not that my environment was awful by any means, but it was a place where people were complacent because it was a corporate job. You showed up, you did, you checked off the box of the things that you were expected to do. And you just didn't, I I got to the point where I didn't feel like I was growing. I didn't feel like I was going where I ultimately wanted to go. And I didn't want to, and I had this like thing going on in the back of my head where I wanted to aspire doing something else. And I didn't want to be 80 years old living in a retirement home or a nursing home and being, dang, I wish I would have tried, you know, I wish I would have tried this. And so taking the leap of faith, which was scary as hell and it was hard and it was painful and there was a lot of sacrifices. Um, because we talked about that earlier, but I do remember, you know, like the encouragement, you know, from Logan, especially and, and, um, and, and Matt, you know, was obviously a great ear with, you know, the emotional stuff that I was going through at the time and being a big supporter of, you know, just lifting me up when I was feeling down. Um, Mike and Sean Rex, Rex was a huge one for me. Rex was, especially in the beginning, I remember him calling me on the day of the radio that I left the radio station, or I was, it was my last day at the radio station. And I remember him saying, because keep in mind the day that I left the radio station, and it wasn't like, I quit, I'm out of here. You know, I gave him my notice and it was like three weeks, four weeks, whatever it might be. And he called me that morning and he was like, so how are you feeling? I'm like, oh, I'm a little bit nervous. And he was like, don't worry about it. It's normal. He goes, but you're about to experience something and you're going to come across opportunities that will present themselves now that you've made this decision that you would have otherwise never premeditated or ever thought possible. And I never thought about it, you know? And I was like, okay, you know, and I, and I, I, I remember him saying it and I heard it, but I didn't put much thought into it. And sure enough, I'm committed to this Heartland Waterfowl thing. I'm doing this Heartland Waterfowl thing. And then all of a sudden this little opportunity comes up that I can work as a side hustle. And this other little thing is working as a side hustle. All of a sudden before COVID, I'm making more money than I ever thought I was fathom that I could ever fathom that I was capable personally of making, but it all goes back to his point. You know, it was, and it was because I took the leap of faith and I surrounded myself with not only people who were successful, but they were genuinely good hearted people who would lift me up and encourage me to get me to the next level. And so the reason I bring all of that up is just because I want everybody to understand the brotherhood of heart and waterfowl. Well, yeah, but, you also put yourself in that position too. Right? I worked my ass off. There's no doubt. You got to put in the work. It just doesn't I, happen. I mean, hell, you're selling twenty dollars hats at PBR. <laughs> <laughs> you damn right I was. But uh, but anyway, it's just important for me. You, you're and you're right. You do have to put in the work. But if you, I, I, it's really what we have with this team and these guys, um, and the character of these guys. Um, aside from Matt, when he tells really nasty butt jokes, but no, no, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, I have about. no idea what you're talking about either. Anyway, uh, no, seriously though, the character, <laughs> the brotherhood of these guys, it's, it's something special. It didn't happen overnight and it was something that, you know, it took a few years for it to kind of all form and the pieces to come together. 
but it's um it is it's pretty special and i hope that we get to continue doing it for as long as i'm physically and mentally capable of doing it um I, I guess before we kind of wrap up this thing and I wanted, I do want to talk about season nine and then we'll be done, but I do want to uh, let's, I, I tell you what, let's do this. Let's talk about season nine. And then before we leave, I want you guys to talk about your business ventures, what it is that you're doing now, do a quick plug um, and kind of, because we've alluded to different businesses you're a part of and stuff. So let's pull back the curtain and let everybody know what it is that you are doing aside from just doing Heartland waterfowl season nine. Uh, it just came out last week. Uh, we have got the showtimes right here. It's actually airing uh, five days a week. Mondays is at 11.30 p.m. That's uh, Central Time. Tuesday, 2 p.m. Central Time. Thursday, 8.30 a.m. Friday, 2 o'clock in the a.m. Saturday, 1.30 p.m., which is Saturday, the 1.30 p.m. Central Time is the anchor episode. So airing five days a week. The show airs 52 weeks a year, five uh, five days a week also airing in Canada. So if you're in Canada, listening to this podcast, you can find Heartland waterfowl season nine on sportsman channel, Canada. Um, we haven't seen all the rough cuts yet of season nine. We've seen probably about half of them. Um, what is it that you guys, you know, as far as, you know, I know Matt, you haven't seen any of the rough cuts, but Logan has what, what is your, what is the episode maybe that you were a part of that you're most excited for people to see, or what maybe an episode that you, have seen a rough cut of that you're most excited to see a special trip that you were on this past year that, um, that really stands out that people might want to tune in and see Logan, I'll start with you. Um, I mean, really it's one of those years where the weather conditions weren't always right. Um, and, but it always worked out. Like we, we didn't have a bad trip. Like we had to work harder for them for sure. Absolutely. And, and we spent a lot of time driving and, you know, um, doing the freelance thing is always a difficult thing to do by any means. But as far as like a whole as a season, it's one of the best ones we've had. And maybe not as far as, um, you know, numbers of birds or, you know, best hunts, whatever the case may be, but it was just consistent and solid. And the hunts that we did have were, we might only shot 15, but they were the right 15. They were the ones we wanted, mm -hmm. you know, um, I mean, it was almost more rewarding from the standpoint that we had to put in extra work for it. And so when you put in the extra work and you've got to drive more and put in more hours behind the windshield and then you actually capitalize, it's almost a little bit more gratifying. Yeah. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. Uh, and, <clears throat> um, you know, and you don't have Canada to fall back on right now because we're not going right. Right. So you, you take the easy ones out and then you add in like North Dakota, North Dakota can be either slam dunk or it can be the hardest thing you've ever done. I've, yep went to North Dakota for 14 days in a row and shot 27 ducks and it was 85 degrees in November. Mm. Like, um, you, the thing is with us, not this year, not this He's year. He's just, yeah. But I mean, the thing with us is we, you know, we have to plan these trips and hopefully time everything right with, you know, everyone having families and jobs and everything, this, that, and another, and you hope that you time it right. And it feels like even though we weren't timed necessarily right this past season, it still worked out and our hunts were really good. Um, and it's one of those things where I'm sitting there like, okay, we've had better years, but we've had worse years, but I would take this past year every single year over any of the other years because of how consistent it was for when we were at XYZ state, mm -hmm. I mean, this, that, or another, like it was, it just worked out. Like we were just, it's like luck upon us, right? We, one day we didn't have wind, but it was still a really good hunt, you yep. know, and that just doesn't happen, yep. you know? 
Um, but yeah, I mean, all of them are good. I just, I haven't seen one that Chandler's put together yet that I didn't like. Exactly. Me either. The thing that I think I would say to that kind of goes to what we spoke about earlier with Dakota and Q being on board is that we did have that challenge this year and knowing after nine or eight seasons going into nine seasons that our viewers, the hardcore waterfowl hunter, that blue collar person who works, you know, five days a week, six days a week, scouts on his way to work and on his way home from work to find that one day to get all of his buddies together. They are the ones who relate to our show. And so when we are putting in that work and we have Dakota and Q filming that struggle, if you will, or that extra effort that we're having to put in and then seeing that all come to the final production, the post-production it's what kind of brings it full circle for me to appreciate season nine much more than any of the other prior seasons because we get to show the entire dynamic. We get to show the great hunts, but we have to show all of the bullshit that we had to go through to make it the great hunt because these guys were like running the camera nonstop all the time. They captured so much more in then season nine than we were ever able to do in prior seasons because of the different dynamic that we were, the, the arrangement that we had. So that's what I, I really appreciate about season nine. Matt, what would you say about it? Oh, I mean, memorable, memorable takeaway and what hunts were good this year. Um, tech, Texas was really good this year. That was fun. Texas was good. It's, you know, we've had a couple of years in the past where it's like, Hey, you know, we couldn't quite get the timing of the cranes figured out or whatever. And yeah, we meant it right for cor- for cranes, but the quail hunting yeah, sucks. Yeah. The quail was not good, <laughs> but that, you know, that's always just a bonus hunt. Like that's, that's the camaraderie. We go out, have a really good time and everything like that. But I mean, yeah, the cranes, the cranes did it right this year, and who doesn't like eating cranes? So exactly, um, they're by the sky, baby. Yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. For not seeing any of the uh, any of the rough cuts or anything like that, I would say the hunts that I was on this year, I would say that Texas has to be probably probably end up being the best episode out of whatever I was on. So. Yeah, Wyoming was really good. Tornado Alley was really good. Um, I know I'm missing one. There was, I mean, North Dakota was good. I mean, yeah, that's the, well, like this is a podcast. So somebody can be listening this week. Kansas Kansas was was good good with Champlin. Anyway, it was, it's a really great season. I'm excited for everybody to see it. Um, it's out on sportsman channel now, everything. So we did nine original episodes this year. And the reason that we did that was because that we were really focused on positioning ourselves that we could do this new YouTube, this new YouTube original series initiative. And so um, you can see kind of the highlights of each one of the hunts from every single episode that you're going to watch this year on Sportsman's channel on our Heartland Waterfowl YouTube channel. So do the thing, get on there, hit subscribe, hit that notifications bell and, and, and all the things like it, swipe it and all that good stuff. Stole that one from Mr. Everett. Um, I don't know, guys, is there anything else I'm missing? Can you think of anything that we need to add as it pertains to, Heartland Waterfowl, Season 9. Dakota, can you think of anything off, off screen? To Q, you got any questions? Anything that you can think of? Season, oh yeah, that's a good one. What are we going to do this next? It's not much has changed, really. Uh, oh no, there's a big one. There's a big one that a, I'm not a part got, of. We got a big one. Yeah. Probably the only guy we haven't list, mentioned on the team yet, Alex. Yeah. Drew. Um, Emperor the, Goose. The Emperor Goose. And Crazy enough, out of the 25 non-residents, I think three of them were in Lee Summit. That's crazy. There's three people from Lee Summit that yeah, drew a tag like, this yeah, year? Yeah, I'm pretty sure Lee there, Summit, there's Missouri, that is. three people right here that drew that's 20, crazy. 25. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that's insane. I didn't really, know that. Really bizarre, but um, yeah, he's got that tag. We're going up to Cold Bay to do that the day after Thanksgiving. Um, I mean, hell, we leave 
40 days from now to go to up to North Dakota um, to do the early. Who's all going on that trip? The early North Dakota? No, no, no. Alaska. Cold um, I think just me, Alex, Dakota, and Q. You said you didn't want to go. You, Alex, Dakota, and Q. Yeah. Okay. So, well, I'm I'm going to Kansas. Yeah. I'm going to go out with Champlin and Everett, and I'm going to uh, figure out a no. way. You got something in your back pocket there. I already <laughs> know. Well, what do you mean? You what are you talking about? Well, I, I know. I know. We'll talk about that What's later. in Ronnie's pocket? That's an old Ronnie <laughs> Phillips. That's an old Ronnie Phillips Q104 bit. What's in Ronnie's pocket? The answer it's is nothing. nothing. <laughs> Always nothing. You got to listen to the show to know that. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's a big one. Other than that, that's the other thing I think we were talking about earlier is like, what could we do to challenge ourselves? And it's so hard. And for those who might be listening, like, why do these guys go to the same places every year? It's, it's not that we, we want to challenge ourselves. We want to go to new places, but it's kind of that fine line. Like once you kind of get a spot figured out, you want to keep going back to that spot because you got it figured out. It can only get so good. Right. You know, like, I mean, yeah, I I would love to go to Argentina or, you know, Mexico or even go overseas and, mm-hmm. um, you know, shoot the pink foots or what, whatever the case may be. But, um, I mean, the central and Mississippi flyway, I mean, there's not much better, right? No, it's uh, great. But, well, and sometimes it's the relationships that we have with the people in whatever well, region yeah, we go to. I mean, that too. Like, I want to go and I want to hunt with Brandon and Jose at Tornado Alley. Every like, year. Every single year. Twice. Twice. Twice, yeah. for a matter of fact. You know, like, I want to go and do those things. I want to go. Big Mike and Cody. Exactly. Yeah. I, I want to go hunt with Aaron Garcia. Absolutely. In Wyoming. Absolutely. You know? Every year. Um, you know, we haven't been out there in a couple of years, but I love going to Colorado and hunting with Vance and Tyler. Yes. You know, love those guys. Like, there's so many relationships that we've, you know, made over the years that, and unfortunately, you just can't fit it all in. You right. know, you can't go everywhere you want to. Um, maybe 10 years ago, we could when, you know, we didn't have a family and, you know, that's a whole other topic you, you, that we didn't touch you, on you didn't tonight. Have a job, and, you know, <laughs> right? You know, like I mean, there's so many different things that we really could go and do, but we're comfortable with what we're doing. Um, we like the freelance aspect a lot. We like to go and do our own thing, and I think and even that, with the outfitters that we do hunt with, they let us freelance. Yeah, that's it, what people don't understand. Yeah, and I think that gets overlooked a lot too. And and that's a difficult thing to do. But we, I mean, we've kind of prided ourselves on that you know mm-hmm. finding our own spots asking permission we want to relate once again to the guy that's going out there on the weekend doing the same thing we are right um so yeah i mean not much different this coming season there uh, might be an opportunity to do something with one of our sponsors in the upper northwest we haven't got that ironed out yet i need to double yeah, I need to I follow mean, up on that there might be some surprise things but for the most part it's going to be a lot of the stuff that we've done in the past but it's still a different storyline every single year. Yeah, we you know? might be going somewhere different. We might have to, you know, change things up because the birds aren't where we are used to them normally being. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the migration changes every single year. The timing's different. And, and really, that's what it is, timing. It comes down to timing. You want to have a good hunt, time it right. You know, time it on that cold front, you know. And there's so much that goes into timing and our success on these trips that is overlooked as well. And yeah, that's really hard when you could, and you said this earlier, we have to schedule this stuff out months in advance. Well, nearly everybody on our team is married or about to get married and has kids or about to have kids. And that just changes the whole dynamic than it did 10 years ago when we were all single and no kids and we could come and go however we please. So, but it's, it's, it's pretty special and, um, I'm blessed and thankful that we were able to have been doing it as long as we did, because I know that there were times when we got frustrated and we were wondering if it would even make it this far every year. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One more year. Is it worth it? Yeah, Do I keep to, going? Yeah. By the time February, it up? By the time February rolls around, we're like, that's it. This is the last yeah. year. I'm not doing this again. And then by the time the premiere rolls around in the you know June, it's like, okay, people still like what we're doing. Yeah. Maybe I'll do it another yeah. year. Yeah. All right. One yeah. more go around. I guess we better go to North Dakota in August. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Let's wrap this up. Um, Matt, I'll start with you. Kind of share, you, you know, you kind of talked about some of the different ventures that you've been involved with in the last nine years that you've been a part of Heartland Waterfowl. Um, what is it that you're doing now? And if somebody wanted to make contact with you, how would they go about doing that? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so a few years back, I made the jump into, is actually kind of right at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, made the jump into real estate. Scary time because who's going to want somebody in their house showing houses when everybody's got COVID and everything. So yeah. it was uh, it was scary, uh, but grew a business, have, having a great time doing it. Um, but it's not just specific to uh, residential. Real no, estate. absolutely not. No, I actually, so the, the, the brokerage that I work with is actually country lifestyle properties. So we do a ton of hunting properties, farms, ranches, uh, equine farms and different stuff like that. But we certainly do the, the country homes and homes in small towns and stuff like that. I actually had a post up on Facebook today that said, how do you know if I'm a good fit for you? Well, you drive by a Casey's or a dollar general or a Sonic on your way out of town and do your cattle outnumber the people in the town that you live in. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, give me a call you're their guy that's how you know so yeah um easiest way to find me i've got my uh my handles on most uh social medias is mo can land pro okay easiest way to get mo it. can land so like pro. missouri kansas land pro got it cool yep. logan you're involved with a lot of different things yeah so we um i don't know 10 years i've been doing it now the insurance and the firearms world so we do product liability um, for firearms and ammunition manufacturers, importers, um, parts manufacturers, gun shops, ranges. Um, we got over a thousand clients across the country. Been doing that for a long time. And then, um, me and my good buddy, Chris in 2017 bought a business out of Montana. He's my good buddy too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Always take, him, take, him, take it all yourself. He's, Chris is my good buddy. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Go ahead. No. So we, uh, Bought a business in 2017, moved it back to uh, Missouri, and we specialize in um, D-mill for ammunition. So pulling apart. um, Yeah, explain for those who don't understand what that is. We essentially pull apart ammunition that they can't sell, whether that is for quality control reasons or just um, some sort of a defect, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We pull that apart and destroy it for them. Uh, we also manufacture ammunition, um, import, export, um, c- different components, powder, primers, cases, whatever the case may be. So everything that I kind of do is kind of intertwined in, in the firearms and ammunition world. Um, and I think that's a, a, a big part of my success is that I get to see it from every angle. I see it from the insurance side, the liability side, um, from the manufacturing side, and also see it from the people that screw up. And make a lot of bad ammunition, and it's crazy. You would never think that there's a lot of bad ammunition made, but there is a pile of it. Uh, and <laughs> lucky it, for you, it, it's just one of those things where you know someone's got to do something with it, so we destroy it. What? Um, so the name of the insurance company, for whatever reason, somebody's listening so, to this podcast and they need a new uh, agency. So we go by ASI Firearms Insurance Agent dot com. Um, like I said, we handle any product liability there is for anything in the firearms industry. And then, um, our 
ammunition business is called uh, American Reloading. So AmericanReloading.com. Okay. And is, and then you have subsidiary businesses outside of that? Yeah, even? there's a bunch of different entities that go under that for different portions of the business and what we're doing for liability standpoint. So basically anything in the, you know, out on yeah, the ammunition side, if they're, whether it's components, whether it's powder, whether it's, you know, whatever it might be, if you have any questions, you want to make sure you go to American AmericanReloading.com. Hit up Logan and Chris, and they will be able to answer any of your questions. And if you need a, a new insurance agent for your business, uh, particularly particularly in the it's getting I'm getting tired, particularly in the gun industry, then ASI and Logan would be the guy to call. Anything else you want to add to that? That's nope. it. Nope. That's social it. media handle. How would they find you? Birdman forty two. Birdman with a U. Yep. B U R D. My last name. Man forty two. Yep. All right, we're gonna wrap this up. Thank you, guys. This was a lot of fun going down memory lane, talking about the old days of Heartland Waterfowl and the last nine seasons and getting ready to launch season nine to the Sportsman's Channel and, heck, even the new season coming out next year as we get ready to film season 10. Thank you, guys. Marathon Media Management, Dakota Thurn, Quentin Verlinick, thank you guys for being here. And for Logan Burdett and Matt Westcote, I'm Ronnie Phillips. You've been listening to the Papa Ron Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, hit subscribe now and tell your friends on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, and other social platforms. To participate on the show, leave a message with your comments or questions by calling or texting 816-558-6389. That's 816-558-6389. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Papa Ron Podcast. Papa Ron Podcast. Oh.